now. Three, two, one, go! Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Cooldown Time. My name is Marco. I'm your graphically outdated host. And joining me, as always, is the technical mess of the show, Pablo. Uh, and look, man, uh, it's been pretty bittersweet this week in terms of uh, the gaming industry. On one hand, we have uh, one of the most anticipated games of the generation coming out. And on the other hand, we have people getting laid off in droves. So uh, quite a perplexing state of affairs the industry is in. So this should be a very unique episode as we cover all those bases. But before we get to that, man, uh, how you holding up? What's up? Hey man, doing pretty good. Uh, work has been uh, absolutely insane. Uh, I really haven't been able to to get into the rhythm of playing games the way I want to, especially this week. Such a massive game came out, and I kind of just want to dedicate some time to it. But work hasn't uh, been giving me the ability to do that. So I do have thoughts on, on that said game, but I'm sure those thoughts will will, will evolve and 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 change as time goes on. But that's what we do here with our loadout. So, uh, how about you, man? How, how you been doing? Yeah, the work tip has been pretty crazy too, man. I don't know what it is about this time of year, but it just gets chaotic. So, uh, didn't have as much time as I wanted to invest in games either. But you know, when a game of the magnitude of the one we're going to be talking about comes out, you, you make time, even if it costs you a little bit of sleep. So, I uh, sacrificed a, a couple of winks to get some time in to talk about it today. Uh, but besides that, it's been going pretty good. Spent time with the kid, getting some work done, uh, just, you know, kind of trying to find a new routine because life is so chaotic now. I don't know what the hell to do with myself when I do have free time, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to do that. And also, you know, I've been kind of trying to rekindle some of my nostalgia for, you know, my old school gaming days, you know, and it, I had a retro kick a couple of years ago that I got really, yep. really into. I'm not going that far back. I'm, I'm just kind of trying to relive a lot of the old nostalgia with the game that we're talking about with loadouts, which I, I mean, you, you, we all know what it is. Um, that, that era for me as a gamer is particularly special. And so I just kind of took some time to go back and watch some like retrospectives on YouTube of certain games that came out in the late nineties that, um, strike a chord with me. So just kind of tapping into that a little bit. Is that something that you do, by the way, do you kind of go back down memory lane with like retrospectives and stuff? Yeah, that's a. I'm glad you asked because I I I was thinking about this just the other day where I I'm a also I, I've been gaming for like 35 plus years or 35 ish years gaming and yeah. and you know my 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 gaming history starts with Nintendo and so I don't know man if if it's Nintendo I can play those games but I I, I find myself recently with remasters coming out of of the N64 era even PlayStation 2 era going back to those games and not having any fun at all really? kind of seeing yeah I don't know it's weird and I know I'm in the minority in that but seeing like the, the that game just it doesn't really like affect me the way I, if I go back and play a Super Nintendo game uh or or NES game even I it just feels weird to me so it's like I, I've tried because I definitely want I, I know I talked to you about this I want to get a Nintendo 64 uh, I have an NES and an SNES yeah. I want to get an N64 so when my son starts gaming a little bit you know he'll he'll see the history my history of gaming and I can like pass that on to him in a sense and you know going back and even looking at some of those games I'm like oh I don't know if I want to do this <laughs> shit it's 
it, I know I know I'm in the minority because people adore the N64 and me- in terms of memory yeah of course the N64 is my childhood really you know oh, for sure. in terms of but it's just one of those things where I'd rather play SNES games than, than anything but I I go back to the, to the, uh, the SNES uh, thankfully to the Switch having that library of games on, on the Switch Online so I, I actually dabble in that quite often mm, yeah yeah it's been i mean with my daughter getting her into gaming it, i tried the old school route a little bit with like remasters of old stuff and she was very quick to be like eh, i don't think i'm feeling this uh, it was like <laughs> uh, it was a mixture of the visuals and the controls were always a little bit jankier so i was like okay mm-hmm. i don't i don't think i can take you down the journey that i went as a gamer i'm gonna have to just kind of find things that appeal to you in the here and now and this is your starting point, and I guess that's just gonna have to be the way it is. But, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I get where you're coming from, though. But yeah, noble effort. I, w- <laughs> I, I do, I do. Right, I do wonder if that's. I mean, I'm 99 sure that's what's gonna happen with my son. Yeah, I do. I, I have invested in those, uh, in those nostalgic controllers that Nintendo sells that sells that look like the old controllers, yeah. that exactly like them, like you know the, but they're wireless and stuff. I have, I have those. So I wonder if maybe I'll just stick to the Switch, or hopefully the Switch Two is backwards compatible, and then when he gets into gaming. I can, at the very least, give them the control that I use to, to get mm. that going. But we'll, we'll see. The kids nowadays, I, they'd rather play on tablets, at least from what I've seen. So Yeah, yeah. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. More kids nowadays talk right here on Cool Down Time. Uh, but, you know, look, that's, for. <laughs> that's what we do. Uh, but look, dude, we have a pretty stacked episode this week uh, with lots of things to talk about. Um, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Let's get started with the segment dedicated to the games we've been playing since our listeners last heard from us. And we call that Loadouts. So let's get started. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. Okay, so that game that we've been alluding to, all intro long, is none other than Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Um, and I want to kind of set this out there right now. It is going to be completely spoiler-free. If you're concerned that, oh no, they're going to be talking about stuff that I haven't encountered yet, wouldn't really worry about that too much if I were you. Um, what we are going to kind of do is just scratch the surface. You know, We're, we're going to get pretty granular. We're going to talk about the game in, in different um, aspects, such as story and quests, gameplay, presentation, polish, surprises, and then kind of our lasting impressions. But uh, don't worry, this is going to be safe uh, from a spoiler standpoint. Um, but man, a, a game of this magnitude um, comes out once in a blue moon. Um, and so we want to kind of go a little bit deeper into the nuances of this game as much as we can here. Um, so we're going to have a bit of an extended conversation about this game, Pablo. And I want to kind of start with you before we kind of get into the nitty gritty. Um, coming into this game, um, you know, the lead up, the demo, just kind of this year in gaming, uh, what was your pre-release disposition towards Final Fantasy VII Rebirth? I mean, I was uh, I was ecstatic. I mean, I was incredibly excited. Um, I'm a person, and I've said this on the show before. Uh, my uh, my I guess memories of Final Fantasy VII are strictly attached to to this guy right here, Marco, because I I pretty much watched him play the first. 25-30% of that game uh, over and over mm. uh, and so that's kind of where my my memory of the uh, of the series started and then I, I eventually played some of it myself but you know going into to remake um, you know I, I got to experience that version of that game at its uh, fully and in, 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 
in graphically in terms of how that game looked was absolutely impressive. So that that was definitely a lead in for me playing that game, you know, in, by today's standards. And I, I I mean, it completely won me over. It's it's a, it's a game that I that I think is probably the best Final Fantasy game uh, besides ten, but that's just a me thing. Mm. Uh, but um, going into this, I was extremely excited. I, I just couldn't wait to get my hands on it. I think it's, it's one, it's, if it's not one or two, uh, in terms of my most anticipated games of the year, uh, for sure. I mean, it just, it looked and when, you know, the trailers and all that, it looked amazing. Uh, and it definitely looked like something that I, I was gonna, uh, really dig my, my, my teeth into and can't and, and, and play the hell out of this game. So I was, definitely excited for it how about you yeah you know with um with final fantasy 7 it's always been a pretty special thing for me as a gamer um i said it a few weeks ago or whenever it was when they announced they were doing a remake um it you know it, it sent me down kind of a, a whirlwind of different emotions uh i was teary-eyed i was excited it was you know i was I'm watching my childhood come back to life again which is something that a lot of people don't get to see in their day-to-day lives so to have that moment uh to begin with was really special when the remake came out um so based on how much i enjoyed that remake i i was really really on cloud nine when i heard this was going to be coming and coming sooner than i thought it would to be honest um the turnaround time Mm -hmm. on this game development wise was pretty surprising so i was really happy that it wasn't one of those hey Thanks for playing the remake. We'll see you in eight years for part two. You know, like for that real. that would have yeah, been yeah, yeah. that would have been kind of soul crushing, right? But um, fortunately, they they kind of kept the the core team together uh, and and pushed through and kind of got this game to the finish line a lot sooner than we see most AAA games uh, get done. So leading up to it, I was pretty excited um, when Final Fantasy 16 let me down the way that it did last year. Um, I, it didn't really affect my hype for this game because two very different directions in terms of the interpretation Mm -hmm. of what an RPG is. So I didn't have any concerns that we were going to start to see a lot of bleed over from what 16 did into what Rebirth was going to do. So um, I I really walked into this with the utmost confidence that I was going to get a great game. Um, So that kind of segues into... Um, where do you want to go from here, dude? Do you want to kind of dig into the, 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 the different categories of discussion, or do you want to kind of give like an opening thought before we kind of get the ball well, rolling? Well, actually, I actually wanted to ask you a question, yeah. uh, because, I, you know, I'm well, we're going to be talking about this game. There's certain things that I'm going to be talking about that may seem, and I'll, and I'll give the, the warning up front, may seem like I'm down on the game. That's not the case. But I, I do want to ask you a specific question is, uh, do you think your love and adoration for the series helps you appreciate and enjoy this game where others who like me who don't have that same love and adoration for the series may not experience in the same way it's it's a it's a mixture for me personally i can't speak for anybody else but here's what mm-hmm. i mean um yes to that question but there's also another side of that where it also makes me much more critical of the game because of oh. how much it means to me so the things that really matter to me like hey i want to see how they bring this over or modernize this or how they're going to explain this in a new way or expand on that whatever it is yeah i'm like all right what let's see what you do with this like you know kind of arms folded kind of energy that's true so it it is a little bit of that because as a fan not, not that i try to play gatekeeper but i am you know, I guess to a degree, emotionally protective of of this of this game because of right. how much it is. Uh, you know, how much it defines me as a gamer. So the last thing I want to see is, you know, a great remake and then the, the the middle game screw everything up, 
right? So yeah. I came into it, like I said, I came in with the utmost confidence, but I'm still going to be like real at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and that's a great point, because me coming into this game, even though it is the 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 sequel to, to Remake, I am, my criticisms of the game are coming more from a game a- aspect. You know, like, a good game is a good game, a bad game is a bad game, regardless of what it means to people, and especially if you don't have that connection like I do, my criticisms of this game and, and, my, and, and, and the positives of the game all come from stem from the fact of like how good of a game this is rather than how good of a final fantasy interpretation of, of the seventh game in the in the series is you know what i mean yeah no that makes perfect sense yeah i get that so i would get i, I would want to go ahead and start let's start with the story and quest stuff because i mean we'll get that out of the way yeah, since yeah. we don't want to uh burn you wouldn't want to spoil anything so let's let's get that those out the way yeah so i mean you know when it comes to the story um obviously this is taking place pretty much directly after the events of remake so we're getting in so many words the immediate aftermath really of what mm-hmm. happened so that that does feel um, you know, pretty much apropos with the way that the original games uh, structured out. Um, but, you know, uh, obviously they're taking the core from the original, they're making some tweaks, they're expanding on some things, they're building on some things they didn't do the first time around. So I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, as someone who isn't as closely connected to the base storyline, um, but yeah. you are connected to the remake storyline, story how is the early game story uh, in terms of the setup and kind of getting you set to go it, how is yeah. that all hitting you so far? I think the the opening hours really sets the table in an interesting way. I was completely like enthralled by what I was watching, and 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 them proposing certain questions to, to things I hope they answer either in this game or in the next game. Uh, they did that really early on, and that really put its hooks in me in terms of like, okay, I, I'm not sure because I have no idea where the game goes from here. Like I said, a lot of my memory about Final Fantasy VII is that first like couple of hours, specifically the remake. So I'm in like weird territory right now. So I'm not. Not too sure there are certain things in my head that i might remember from certain aspects of the of the original story but as a setup for rebirth i think the opening chapter is very well done i think that everything that they do in that chapter specifically really sets the table in a really interesting way for me so i went into that really like uh really appreciating that they took the time to to, to tell this story in in, in terms of like uh, I, I, it's hard to talk about it because i don't want to yeah, i'm trying know, my very yeah. best not to even mention any specifics even though this was part of the demo but some people purposely didn't play that so let, let's just say that in terms of the opening i think that they opened up in in in, in an incredible way um the only thing is is after that i think that the, there's a there's a slowdown uh it's a slow burn it becomes like more of a slow burn and i am a little bit in a position where i'm not i'm, I'm not gonna say losing interest but i'm trying i'm i'm getting impatient when okay what's next the next big story moment i i want to see you know the next thing that happens within this story and so getting caught up in a lot of the early stuff a lot of the the tutorial stuff a lot of the mini game stuff a lot of the side quest stuff that they're throwing at you really early on to kind of get you uh uh familiar with that open world it, it it started to wear a little thin on me but i also think that it has to do with the fact that i'm trying to to to, to have the the most time with the game as, as much as i possibly can with mm-hmm. my schedule right now and so maybe those little things are getting in my in the way and there's annoyances but it's not any fault of the game everything it's doing in the early hours is is pretty common with games in terms of setting up getting you familiar with with your surroundings but other than that besides that that opening and, and kind of the slow burn where we're at right now the story 
the the through line of the story is still very interesting to me, and I'm still uh, I'm still very uh, in, uh, I'm very involved in terms of what is going to happen with these characters. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally understand where that can you know. I think the way that the game kind of starts off is is pretty high energy. Um, it to me, I mean. On a personal note, the first five minutes almost had me choke up three separate times. I'm like, oh, oh God, <laughs> y'all can't put me through this. Um, but legit, it was just one of those those intros yeah. where I'm like, oh, oh God. Imagine. And then they put you, like the first thing you're doing playable wise, like who you're playing as, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my, like fans of, of this of Final Fantasy VII know how big of a deal that is. Like, because yeah. that's not. That's not supposed to happen. Um, and, and you know what's funny about that part, Marco, is that I, I, I'm not sure whether or not that's part of the original game, but the way it was presented was like, was a holy shit, like, boom, mm-hmm. you weren't expecting this shit, were you? That's the way it was presented to me. And for a person that had, had no idea whether or not that's a, a, a new thing or not, I was like, oh shit, I was oh shitting for no reason. I didn't know why I was <laughs> oh shitting, but it felt like an oh shit moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they're doing a lot there with uh, with separate timelines and stuff like that. I'm really mm-hmm. curious about that. But nevertheless, um, I really liked the backstory and how that was depicted. Um, it, which is basically the events from the demo. Again, trying to be vague here. Uh, but then when it gets into um, the new stuff, essentially, and kind of sets the team off into the open world, um, I, I actually really liked it. I didn't find um, anything mm-hmm. that um, preceded that or, or went after that that like really felt um, like anything was being throttled down in any kind of way. I mean, we'll get to more of the open world discussion in, in a bit here. But um, I think narratively what I like about it is that, like, hey, you know, we have this this goal in mind, this thing we need to do. But in order to do that, we have to have money. Like we have to have a way, we have to have a means yeah, to do all true. this. So we need to kind of make things happen. We, we are going to need to stop. There is a character that tells cloud like, Hey, like this is something that we have to do. Kind of like what we did back in Midgar um, from the yeah, events of the first five. game to kind of like, you know, Hey, like we got to do some things to make this thing work. And, and, and I think I like that because it's not just this, mindless adventure to the next big set piece but it's more of like it's not like grounding the game to the point of like it's making it too realistic it's just that it's kind of contextualizing their their circumstances better than i expected uh and i actually like it for that reason narratively so i don't really have any complaints on the narrative side of things at all i think the characters are all coming in really nicely so far um i like the way that that ancillary characters are kind of um giving the game a bit more color around just the main cast uh, which is really nice. Um, and I'm looking forward to running into more of those types of people as I play more. But uh, obviously, you know, we'll kind of put a pin in that until we play more of the game and kind of see how things line up story-wise. But um, yeah, I, I, got, I have like so many narrative questions that I want to ask that I won't ask because I don't know whether there's spoilers or not. So, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But I think a lot of what you said, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's just, uh, I guess it was for me just that opening was so like bombastic and mm-hmm. and, 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 and it was so... It was it was really awesome, honestly. It was just like jaw dropping moments and, and and kind of just these these little moments between characters that I was like, okay, I I, I understand what they're trying to do here. Uh, but in terms of like going into the open world of it, 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 I guess it doesn't slow it down. It actually makes the game bigger and 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 gives you the ability to do anything and go around anywhere you want and really explore that world. The grass was it called the grasslands? Mm-hmm. 
And and I, I guess that for me felt like, oh, man, I just wish we were still within that narrative hook and still getting pulled into that story. But it makes sense. For me, it was just more of a feeling in terms of how I was feeling, not really a complaint against the game. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we're kind of talking about pacing uh, in, in embedded in this conversation about story. So that's mm-hmm. kind of checking that box. But I, I want to get any additional thoughts that you have so far about quest structure, uh, whether it's side quest or main quest and just any other uh, add-ons you have about the pacing of the game before we move forward. No, I mean, I, other than some of the stuff feeling a little bit kind of like open world stuff, uh, you know, go over here, collect this thing, uh, these three things and go back and give it like that stuff you're not going to be able to, to get away from. That's just that's what open world games are. And that's kind of some of the side quest stuff in terms of filler. That, that, that kind of stuff is cool. But that stuff does lead into some really cute character moments that kind of makes it worth it. You know, I think uh, I think back at the game that I just played, Infinite Wealth, where the story, some of that story stuff might not be great, but character moments are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And this game really kind of is like that, where there must be there, you might do some little mission stuff that doesn't seem very it sounds fetch questy but the payoff are these like really uh interesting and like i said cute character moments that kind of make the entire uh thing worth it yeah and i will also say that similar to yakuza games uh they have like a relationship type of system now with the characters which can kind of build the more you do combat moves with them or you kind of uh talk to them when they're out in in certain towns and villages and stuff which i thought was really interesting that the way that they brought that in i'm curious to see how far that goes or how in depth it gets i i I would imagine it'll probably be somewhat surface level but it's still a cool little touch to kind of you know yeah get to build a a deeper bond with certain characters that we know and love from the series so that's a really cool touch too um, you want to be able to say like the right things yeah. to, to, to the people you want to romance. Yeah. Where's T fat? Yeah. I wish I was, I wish I was different and be like, nah, nah, Tifa. But every time Tifa comes on screen, I'm like audibly, I love you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. This man is thirsty, parched and dehydrated <laughs> all at the same time. Same words, oh same God. meanings, but he's, what a, he's all what three. Vicious. What vicious. Um, look, man. Um, I would say in terms of quest structure, I'm really enjoying, and this is going to kind of segue into the gameplay um, with the exploration in the open world. I'm really liking a lot of the side content so far. I think I think what's grabbing me about it, and I kind of want to say this, and this has been a... This has been something that's been sort of beaten to death um, over the last 10 years or so when people make Breath of the Wild comparisons. But this this game structure is like my Breath of the Wild moment for Final Fantasy, right? In that a lot of the open world stuff that you can do in this in this in this area that we're in um, may seem pretty rudimentary and you know, ordinary and trite and conventional for open world RPG standards. And it kind of is, but I think similar to way to the way breath of the wild recontextualized certain Zelda isms into a, into an open world. And it made sense Mm -hmm. in that way. I think I'm having a similar feeling about this. Now, obviously this comparison is very loose. I'm not saying that they're in the same echelon or whatever. I don't know yet because I haven't finished this game. But what I will say is that in that way, I like that all of the side content t- content that I am doing is all tethered in in some way, shape or form or another to something related to the world. Like it's a lore thing or this is a Shinra type of situation over here or this is um, this is something I can find that helps me with 
a deity that is a summon that I can end up getting. You know, like there's a lot of things that are kind of tied in, even even running around the open world and seeing those little yeah. those little Mako streams. And you go, oh, oh okay, yeah, that, cool. that, that little touch right there I think is really important because this Mako energy thing can sound like, you know, okay, this is like earth, earth magic. Like what is this thing? Like what, how important is this really? But then when you see it kind of shown through the visual language of the game, and in the open world, I think that's really powerful because it shows you like, oh, this is really important because look at you can you can visually see it right here, and now it kind of makes it even more shitty that a company like Shinra is like is is taking it all away and kind mm-hmm. of bleeding the, the world dry, you know. So I I just like the way that all these little pieces kind of they they just all give more life to this Final Fantasy VII thing that I've fallen in love with all those yeah. years ago. So that's why I'm, I'm really into it so far. I know, and it's true. And, and you know, once you hit that open world, and, and uh, I think Aerith says kind of like, oh, wait, it looks like the world is thriving, and Red 13's like, it really is it, though. It's like holding on by a thin, like, you know, by a string. And then you, yeah. as you explore that open world, you see that. You you, you know, you, you see all that stuff out there, like how, how it, the the world is breaking, almost. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of stuff happening. So I, I do like those touches. Um, I, I will say some of the things that I've heard about uh, people talk about in terms of like, oh, it's like a, a Ubisoft open world uh, in final fantasy which i i I, some people there's a definitely a a negative connotation when people say ubisoft from world i don't think that's a negative connotation i think ubisoft has kind of figured out the the best way to gamify open world and i think that final fantasy does a good job with that stuff even even though it has come tower based stuff I, i like what you get the information you get off of that stuff it isn't it isn't necessarily you see more of the map you know it, it's more it's still tied to a specific uh narrative that, that that they're trying to tell you so i do like that about the game i i don't think that the open world structurally speaking even though it is it has a lot of the the checks a lot of boxes off in terms of what you expect from open world i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing i think that's a good thing as a matter of fact and i think that the way that they're weaving narratives into into all that stuff and and, and doing interesting things with the world uh world building and the lore with those things i think that that's i think they're i think that they're doing a really good job with that kind of stuff yeah and it's it's also a good job of kind of doing what some contemporaries have done well as well with open mm-hmm. world games like they 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 borrow an element from ghost of tsushima where in ghost of tsushima yes. you'd follow a fox to a, a certain thing they have something similar in this game uh they even mm-hmm. do a little bit of xenoblade chronicles type of energy with picking up like items around the the, the world um, that you yep. can use for crafting purposes. So very similar in that context too. And I, and I love that kind of thing. It just keeps me compelled <laughs> and distracted while I'm traversing. So things like that, just kind of those little bits and pieces add up and, and form a whole that I'm really kind of enjoying right now. Um, in terms of the crafting, uh, is that new to, to the series? Yes. Yeah. Okay. See, definitely... I, see and, I, and I felt that I thought, I think that's like a really ingenious way of doing it where it's like, okay, we have this open world. It's not just going to be barren. Let's, add another element to, to this in terms of the crafting so the things that they do find out there have purpose and meaning I, I think that's awesome yeah because the alternative would be if they don't have something like that then we would have to keep fast traveling to a town buying more right. items than fast traveling back to the the open world area then going back and forth back and forth this kind of keeps you where you want to be basically yeah and also and also just kind of like okay well there's not much to do out there except f- get into to fight and I'm yeah. at a specific level and so let me just fast travel over. this actually gives you a reason to explore that world and I think that's I think that's awesome yeah I also like that there's like some organic encounters in that game where you run into characters uh, or you run into yes. scenarios that you weren't expecting to, to have happen so it's not super straightforward um, so I, I do like that you can kind of bump into those types of things as, as you as you move along which is really nice uh, keeps things fresh and interesting for sure um, absolutely yeah 
want to talk about combat. You know, um, oh, yeah. uh, combat, you know, I think we both agree was one of the strengths of, of Remake. Uh, it really took the turn-based combat and, and it made it so much more dynamic and um, intuitive. And uh, we, we kind of get an evolution of that here, uh, where a lot of mm. the same mechanics uh, do persist, but they've added some, some neat little add-ons to kind of give more variety to what you can do. So I'm just curious to get a temperature check on what you think of the combat so far in that regard. Yeah, what I'm going to say, people are going to be a little bit uh, surprised, and I just don't think you guys have the foresight to understand what I'm about to say. Uh, I think that this is the best combat of any JRPG ever. Mm. Um, I, I I don't think anything comes close. Uh, I think that it takes those turn-based elements and mixes it with action hack and slash in ingenious ways where you build up your AP to then access abilities, magic, items. It still has elements of the turn-based combat, but in a way where it's actually... I'm not going to say it's fun to play because it is fun to play turn-based combat games as well, but in terms of it gives you more to do than just the press of a button. I, I, I think that it started with 15 in terms of they were trying to figure it out. 7 Remake definitely figured that out. Integrate added the the synergy abilities and it made real it made it really fun to to to, to play and, and 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 get those perfect uh, uh synergistic abilities with with each character and then having these small iter- the small iteration and the improvements in remake i, I think i mean rebirth sorry make it pretty much i think pitch perfect i don't even know where they go from here i'm i'm sure that they'll find some way to make it even better but as it stands right now you know in terms of of, of you know i'm not the biggest jrpg fan but my RPG, the rpgs that i've played i think that this is by far the best uh jrpg combat it's the it's the best of both worlds and and i i think it's the best thing about this game i i love i i I find uh combat scenarios i want to get into fights i think it's 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 the most fun i've had uh playing and and being in a combat situation in a jrpg probably ever yeah and and the fact that you're seeking out those combat encounters really Mm -hmm. says a lot speaks volumes i'm on the exact same wavelength as you uh even down to going into the those, uh, battle simulators um, yeah so with Chadley and and I think those are really fun as well I just I, I think it's a treat to play I really do I think that they they understood to not to not you know reinvent the wheel for no reason you know right. what what's working is already working fine just kind of iterate on that give me a little bit more to work with um, the, the the team moves that they do together um, that you kind oh, yeah. of build up for. Those are awesome. I think that adds the a really... Abilities. Yeah, those add a lot of flavor to the combat, and I like the way it just makes everybody feel like they're working in unison instead of kind of siloed and doing their own thing in separate parts of, of the battle uh, area. So that's really a nice addition. I, I think the only issue I have, honestly, is the game does a thing where whoever you're playing as in combat scenarios, the enemy is normally going to go target whoever you're yes. playing as. Um, and I, I wish point. it doesn't do that as much as it does. Sometimes it can get a little annoying because like, I'll, I'll be fighting with Cloud and then he's kind of getting banged up a little bit. So I switch to Aerith to kind of, you know, heal and kind of give everybody speed. But then the enemy turns to Aerith and goes, OK, well, now it's your turn to get this work. And yeah. it's it, that can get a little irritating at times. So I, I wish that they can kind of do better with that in the future of, you know, let, let the enemy kind of stay where they are. Like it doesn't make sense for them to just go chasing me. It just feels a little artificial, but that's, yeah, it does. That's really nitpicking though. Like everything and, else and is sensible though. It is nitpicky until you get into the really tough combat uh, scenarios where it's it, it, like, like when you get into the Chadley stuff and you're trying to get a summon and, and, and those are kind of tough fights. And so like 
when it when it targets the the person you're controlling, it, it can. I, I think it could go outside the realm of nitpicky and be an actual annoyance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I, I I agree with you. What I think would be helpful is if there was also this feature where like. You know, a lot of RPGs can have you like, this character is going to prioritize healing. This character right. is going to just focus on attacks. This character is going to do magic and then kind of, you know, have the AI, you know, kind of carry that out. I wish there was a little bit more there in terms of flexibility to sort of customize the behavior of your companions so that you can mm-hmm. just be one character and play who you want to be and not have to worry about what the other people are doing. But again, right. th- these are splitting very, very fine hairs uh, in what is I- otherwise a pristine game. I will say on that tip a little bit, um, you know, when you're when you're fighting as 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 the leader of the group or Cloud or whoever you you want you choose to fight with, you know, you build up your uh, your AP pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, the others do not. So like sometimes when you want to switch to someone else or, or you're looking for certain um, abilities to do, uh, more more often than not, you're getting that AP a lot quicker than 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 the other two are unless you're playing right. them directly. So yeah, that's, yeah. that that also get a little bit annoying when you're like, okay, I I use I use two slots of of that on 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 a magic ability and mm-hmm. an item to heal. Now I need to focus on attacking, and it's like, oh, they're, they're they're not quite there yet. So I think the game wants you to switch between characters actively in combat yeah. to, to yeah. get that going, and and I, that's something that I'm getting more used to doing because I didn't really do that in Rebirth. I I'm sorry, in remake. I pretty much just stayed on with my main character. Mm-hmm. But this game definitely rewards you if you kind of go outside of that and and really kind of go through each of of your char- uh, characters as you're uh, in combat. Yeah. Um, what are what's your team comp? What are, who do you got going? I, I don't have a set team. I've been kind of just okay. kind of floating around. I, I I like sharing the love with everybody that I'm uh, that I've got so far. Um, I, I think the one that I keep defaulting to the most, I guess, is is probably Cloud, Aerith, and Tifa. Um, okay. Barrett, I throw in there when I need a little bit extra firepower. I need a little bit more like of a tank kind of character to sort of you know withstand some of the the, the damage and let the others do their work. But typically, it's those three. I really like Red Thirteen a lot though, so I've been using him a little bit more lately uh, to get him more involved, and I'm having a really good time with him as well. His his moves are really yeah. fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm enjoying. Uh, honestly, I like all of them um, in their own unique ways. I think maybe the least interesting one of the bunch is probably Aerith for me. Um, because she's, yeah. she's, she can be a little bit two-dimensional in certain respects, and her role is really you know healing and supporting at, at its core, which is right. fine, but I, I guess it's just not as dynamic as what I get from the other characters. But um, again, yeah, you I, know, it's still, still great, still great. Yeah, I have to I have to explore a little bit more because I have kind of just been sticking with Cloud Barrett T- Tifa uh, mm-hmm. as my as my three. Uh, Got to give Red Thirteen a little bit more love, and, and and I agree. I did start off with Aerith in my party, and I just I just found her to be you know a little bit like you said two dimensional and just didn't didn't do a lot for me at that moment. So, but I'll definitely revisit. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, any last gameplay related thoughts and impressions before we move on to the next uh, part of this? Um. I mean, I guess I could I could talk about this here. Um, I, I, well, actually, let's wait. If we, are we going to talk about exploration a little bit? No, yeah, go ahead. This is this is the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, the actual act of traversal and exploring in that game uh, gets really annoying because anytime there's kind of any adverse terrain, your, your characters lose their damn mind. Uh, like they're they're doing weird shit in terms of uh, climbing, and it's kind of hard to 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 decipher what you're able to climb. And I'm not talking about like the 
wall climbing. I'm talking about like vault over uh, a, a specific rock formation or anything like that. And and that gets a little annoying when I'm on a chocobo and I'm like kind of slamming against the, the the terrain trying to get on top and it kind of gets stuck for a second and then they you know freeze themselves and, and keep running. That kind of stuff kind of takes me out of it a little bit because it happens a lot. Um, and it, it's it's weird in, in terms of like looking at the combat and how smooth and how well animated that is, and then going into the exploration part, which you do quite a bit, and then finding at times to, to, to be a little annoying and, and uh, it just feels a uh, it just feels like that needed a little bit more work. Mm. Yeah, that, that, I understand that. I haven't run into any issues with like the the, the traversal. I, I think it feels fine to me. Uh, the chocobo riding feels fine to me. Um, the only thing that's that's mostly like funny about it is in areas where there are like chairs and tables and things you can knock over. Your companions mm. are going to be bulls in a china shop, dude. Hell yeah! <laughs> Everything is going down. So it's kind of hilarious that we run in there to go help somebody, but we destroy their entire living <laughs> conditions uh, completely. But hey, we found it that is, that's found that thing you need for your side quest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jesus, man, but, you destroyed my home. Yeah, but uh, and, a little quirks like that, yeah. And why the fuck is Red Thirteen riding a chocobo? He ain't need to do that. Hey man, don't 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 diss <laughs> that man. Eggs. He's probably burning that chocobo's feathers <laughs> off too with that damn tail too. We ain't gonna talk uh, about that. Right. <laughs> now chocobo. we're getting too now we're getting too granular. Uh, but, terrible, but, ter- terrible <laughs> uh, game design. He's burning that poor bird's worst, uh, ass with his tail. Worst fire physics ever um but uh why don't we shift gears dude let's talk about some presentation stuff let's talk about polish Mm -hmm. let's talk about visuals let's talk about all the the sights and sounds uh and and technical aspects of this game um let's start with visuals and performance um you know we had talked about the state of the demo um leading up to the full release and some of the issues that performance mode uh, was suffering from in terms of image quality and things along those lines. We also talked about um, the quality mode looking great, but also having some uh, issues without having motion blur uh, included. Um, definitely makes the game a little choppier in that in that setting. So both of those issues seem to be persisting right now. They have pledged that a patch is coming to work on that again. Uh, so hopefully uh, sooner than later we'll see an improvement, but those things persisted. So I want to get your thoughts about that aspect of the game and anything else from a visuals and performance standpoint, good or bad, that stuck out to you. Yeah, I, I am playing in performance mode because uh, the 60 frames, uh, I really I, I like playing it in, in that um, mm. it, with that frame rate. I think at 30 with no motion blur is is a little choppy, unnecessarily so, I think. So it just it doesn't really feel great to play it in that. So I am playing it in, in that. I went into my settings and I in my PlayStation settings and I locked it at 1440p. You know, anytime you have to do that in, in terms of making the game look better, that's a problem. Yeah, um, I think that's the biggest issue that this game has right now. It's It's just... The fact that visually uh, it's it's not there yet, um, and you know that's a little bit of a shame since remake was so incredible uh, to look at. Now that's not to say this game is ugly. It's just it's just certain aspects, especially in the open world. Uh, you know, looking past your characters can can be a little bit. A little blurry, uh, things in, in the distance, and, and that that's not great. Uh, but, you know, there are some concessions that had to be made in order to make an open-world game. But even so, some character faces and all that, uh, they don't look as good as they should. Uh, but I, I, I know there's a lot of people who are making, like, really big deals about this. I, I get it. I, I think that they're not wrong. I just think that, you know, I... The performance in terms of it, 60 frames, it runs really well on that. I, I think, and you know, just... 
the actual gameplay and we don't talk about the, the the mechanics in terms of, of combat all that stuff all that is just so much is so good that I, I I'm, I'm I'm able to kind of bemoan the fact that the visuals aren't great but not necessarily let it ruin my experience as a whole mm. okay yeah yeah I mean I think for me my, my stance on it is that um, the, the developers are openly acknowledging that they fell short of what was feasible for performance mode. And so mm-hmm. they're going to address that. Um, hopefully second time's a charm. Um, and so, you know, look, if they're going to be committed to making that mode better, um, then I am more than willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, especially now that I've played the full game and saw just how amazing everything else really is with little quirks right. here and there that we've talked about, of course. But I mean, you know, at, at some point, yeah, there's going to, every great game has that one thing. Right. And, and and this is just no exception to that. And especially in the case of this where it is it is noticeable, it is in your face like this is blurry. This is kind of tough on the eyes. Um, I don't want to have to mess with my TV settings or my console settings to make this mm-hmm. less ugly. So it is it is an inconvenience in that sense. But I think and I, and I will say I don't blame anybody for wanting to wait for like a PS5 Pro version or just wait for the patch to come out to make it better before they jump in because you only get one first playthrough, I guess, you know, if, if that makes sense. One first impression. Yeah. yeah, you want to make it count, right? So I get it. For me, um, I kind of waffled on which mode to play. I settled on quality mode. Um, at the end of the day, I just kind of felt like I was I was conceding too much of the clarity and fidelity that I wanted out of the game. Um, and so I've, I've kind of, I've mostly adjusted to the, the, the lack of frames, although I would love to see the performance mode get a lot better so I can make the switch back to 60. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think my biggest problems with the game are really Unreal Engine 4 related in terms of right. the pop-in, um, the texture pop-in on the open world is not great. Um, it just, it's more of that open world Unreal um, desyncing that just doesn't look great on the eye sometimes that I wish they I wish they wouldn't have used this engine I just gotta be straight up I just wish they could have done something with a more proprietary engine like the Lumen engine or something else um, I, you know it, anything would be better than <laughs> just getting more Unreal did, Engine for wonkiness and I think that's what we got here did they use the same engine for, for remake? I think so um, yeah. but because I was like, that's probably the turnaround. That's why it was the yeah. less than four, just just slightly less than four years to get this it, game out, yeah, which is pretty it is. impressive. It, yeah, it is impressive. But I guess I guess the, the 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 issue was that remake was a much smaller game, and so right. there was you true, know true. You, you can play around that a little bit more. This is such an open world game now in comparison that it's it it doesn't feel like the engine is the right fit anymore. Um, you know, and I would say that uh, along with that. Um, and of, of course the performance issues, um, the textures can look a little boo-boo sometimes when you kind of get up close. <laughs> boo-boo. Yeah. Now I will say that is probably the one thing that, you know, the graphics horror in me doesn't actually care about all that much because I'm, I'm not looking at the rock over there on the, on the cliff yeah, more than yeah, I'm yeah. looking at, you know, the, the character models, which are impeccable. Like I'm not that guy. Um, but there are times when you're kind of, if you're in an indoor environment or you're kind of at a, a, a rocky structure where you kind of look at the wall and you go, Ooh, <laughs> oh, holy PS3 yeah. Batman, you know? So there's a little bit of that every now and again, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, um, again, you know, to me, I just think that the concessions that they've made are more than worth it with what they do so well with everything else. Uh, so it's not a big, a big deal breaker for me. 
Yeah, and, and and you make you make solid points. I mean, you, we all uh, we've all talked about uh, Alan Wake too, and and their audio issues, and how the dev team basically was like, hey, hey, no, 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 there's no audio issues. Everything's fine, you know. And <laughs> and this is quite the opposite, where they are updating us consistently, and, and have already promised another uh, update coming. Yeah. So I, you're right. I in terms of what they've done. And the massive scale of this game and, and, and the time frame in which they did it and they delivered this game that we thought was going to take forever to make and, and, and we we're playing it today. I think that those little things can can at the very least you can understand and understand them. Uh, and, and if you can't, then that's fine. You have the, the ability and the choice to not play it right now. Like exactly. Said, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, moving on to music and voice acting. Um, I think this is where they really knocked it out of the park for me. Um, I, I I hardly have any real issues with any of the voice acting. I think if I'm really picking something out of the crowd here, some of the NPCs' voices don't line up with faces. That's kind of standard fare with some open world games. We're like, why does this guy sound like that? Doesn't even you know. <laughs> there's a little bit of that going on, but. Otherwise, I, I think that the, the, the voice performances from the returning cast are really good. Everybody still sounds like they should in my in my brain. Um, and the music, dude. The music is just out of this world. Um, some real slaps, man. There's some, there's some stuff, man, that they, they drop bangers like for, for side content that's like, this should be the main theme of a JRPG. And it's just something yeah. you're throwing at here, you know, for this little cave that I went into um, mm-hmm. for a side thing. It's, it's insane. Like, they, they the the music from the base game was so legendary um but you know the back in the day was back in the day and you wonder you know can they how are they going to bring this up to speed how are they going to modernize this and we got a taste of that with remake i think they got into a different stratosphere with this game i really do yeah i i agree i don't have the nostalgia for like i said for seven and that music but i can even still recognize uh the iconic music of that franchise and how and what they've done here to improve it like there are certain chords that you know from final fantasy seven specifically and they use those chords throughout the game in certain aspects that lead into different songs completely but they the, the way they play with your emotions with those little things I, I think that those little touches are absolutely impressive there's there, i forgot where it was I, I won't even say it but there's a part in the game where there's like a little hip-hop song going yes. on and i'm like yo this shit is a fucking <laughs> i banger. know exactly What's what happening? it is i know exactly what you're talking about yeah. i was like hey hey yeah i'm like yo what is <laughs> happening like and, and you know and when you look at, at at this orchestral kind of take on, on this and you think hip-hop won't it, it goes with it just fine it is absolutely perfect yeah. I, I think that they they really when it comes to music i mean they They've Final Fantasy. They've always had bangers. Even you know all my gripes with Final Fantasy 16. I think the best thing about that game is the music. So like mm. they 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 know what they're doing. And and you know with Final Fantasy 7 having probably one of the most iconic soundtracks and music in any uh, of any Final Fantasy of any game really. If you really think about it, uh, they really just they know what they're doing and, and, and it's it's outstanding. In terms of voice acting, I agree. I, I love the voice acting. You know. It's it, there at times it could be hokey, but it goes with what the the, oh, yeah. the vibe and it goes yeah. with with what they're doing. Uh, even Sephiroth's uh, voice, you know, you hear more in this game, and it's like he's. <laughs> I think his shit is hokey as fuck, but I love it. I think it just goes with that character so perfectly. The way he talks, mm-hmm. he's like Cloud. <laughs> like <laughs> that didn't sound anything like him panting. at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I was like, oh my god, does he want to fuck Cloud? <laughs> hey. <laughs> 
my god! I love it. I mean, that's, this, that, this is the don't, stuff. Don't is, give uh, those weirdos that that draw everybody fucking from our from RPGs any ammunition with that oh, shit, man. My god, come on, man! They've been uh, they've been drawing Sephiroth fucking everything for years now. You know this. Oh my god! They got you should say, man. Don't ever do a Google image search of Cloud and Sephiroth. You're gonna see Cloud <laughs> bent over. <laughs> oh Jesus! Getting get, get that clouds. Getting that sword. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Anyways, long sword too. Ugh. All right. Um, Cloud got the girth, but you know, all right. Uh, Sephiroth got the length. We're trying to move forward. <laughs> Just trying to move okay. forward. All right. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, uh, I, in terms of bugs, glitches, quirks, I have to be honest. I really haven't seen. I mean, I've seen like the visual, like pop in and stuff like that. Those are the more of the yeah. quirky side of things, engine related. I haven't really run into any bugs though or glitches. Have you? No. No, just kind of like sometimes when you're moving, uh, let's say you're moving up a ladder or go up, uh, moving, uh, climbing up to a certain area, suddenly like your 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 character can like jump twenty feet into a different character, like uh, your companion jumps like twenty feet and like uh, gets to where you need to be. But other than that, that's not really a glitch. It's just the game is making the character catch up to you, you know. Mm. Uh, so I that's not none of that bothers me. I have not seen any bugs that you know that are like game breaking or kind of mess with anything in terms of like the, the gameplay or, you know, some of these games, the music may cut out. Now, I have not experienced any of that. I think when it comes to that specifically, other than what we spoke about, the game is pretty solid. Yeah, I think it's remarkably polished, uh, considering you know this is such a, a larger game than than remake was, uh, which is really impressive. But yeah, I've I, I run into the odd camera angle here and there uh, in certain instances with dialogue, um, but other than that, I really don't run into any issues. So I really appreciate the fact that they really try to get this game in as good a shape as possible uh, without your chocobo getting hit, its head stuck in a, a wall yeah, or yeah. something like that. You yeah. know, like things like that can really be annoying and take you out of the experience. And we see that so often with open world games that it's kind of refreshing to dive in, get your bearings, go do your thing and not really run into any like game breaking issues. Some people yeah. I've heard reported like they've had a, a hard crash or two. I, I can only speak on my experience so far and saying I haven't run into that at all. Yeah, me neither. But, um, yeah. If that is a thing, then I hope they address that and I'm sure they will. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's been pretty smooth sailing for me. Yeah. Um, well, one other thing that, that, that I, um, that I have, I have experienced, which again, not really a huge deal is sometimes when the music swells up and it's like really loud and you happen to get into a conversation a few times i've had the that uh, i've seen where the music the volume of the music is like at 100 mm. and, and it's still like really loud and then you're having that conversation uh to the backdrop of like the loudest possible uh music <laughs> uh, and sometimes like huh what'd you say yeah uh but uh, that, that's happened only once or twice yeah i might want to turn and i don't even know that's a bug or that. that's on purpose what's that you might want to turn the volume down on that that's a problem with every jrpg ever they they bombard yeah. you with the soundtrack and it just drowns everything else out like i always turn the, the music down one or two ticks and then i'm, I'm good to go i yeah. would do the same thing here because i i think you're right that is that is uh something i noticed too um mm -hmm. but before we wrap up uh pablo you know uh this is kind of a segment now for surprises positive surprises or negative surprises any that stick out to you that we haven't already talked about or have you covered all your bases yeah, in terms of positive, I, I pretty much covered uh, everything in that. I, I think that 
just really just the open world and, and the how expansive the world is. I I, I knew it was going to be open areas. I didn't expect it to be that big. And, and, and looking at that map, it's like, oh, shit, this is a really big map in that first area in the grasslands. So I that that's a positive surprise. I, I'm also kind of surprised by the fact that all the uh, open world elements that they talked about, like tower stuff and, and things that you would find in, in open world games doesn't feel like bad version of that it, 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 they do a really good job uh and uh yeah I, in terms of that negative surprise uh surprises other than the visual stuff um i i i don't really have anything uh to, to say on that front i don't think anything really has come across as like oh my god i can't believe this is this bad or whatever uh i, I other than what we've covered i think that um it, it's it's been pretty good uh on that front so nothing in terms of the negative surprises how about you well yeah I, actually i don't have any negative surprises either um which every time we've done an extended loadout it's about a game like a big game like a starfield or a zelda there's always a little something and i, I really mm-hmm. i racked my brain i'm like i really don't have anything like that right now now maybe there will be something down the road that you know will take us sure, both sure. off guard they'll go oh that's not great but um i think so far the things that, that I knew would be kind of detrimental, I guess I kind of knew from playing the demo, particularly right. with the performance mode and the visuals and all that stuff. Um, so that wasn't a surprise, air quotes, uh, on a negative level. For me, the, the positive side, um, I would say, and this is kind of a lighthearted thing, but there is a return of a certain gang of bandits uh, uh-huh. from, the, from the remake, and they are, they're kind of like the Team Rocket comic relief <laughs> of the game and they are back and um and the way that they're reintroduced is is it's so perfect because you can hear them talking and they ha- the way they talk to each other is very it's it's kind of the running joke uh from from the remake and they did the same thing but you don't see them yet and i'm like oh that's them that's these guys and i don't want to say who they are but because we're trying to be <laughs> yeah, spoiler free but and then you get there and then you finally see them and yes it's them and then the the music that they usually have when they make an appearance kind of comes back in and you're like oh my god and they're being funny again uh and and they're they're just hilarious i think they they actually bring a lot of flavor and um levity uh, yeah, you know, it, to, to the game's storytelling in a way that I really appreciate, and I think that I think a game like this that can get very heavy-handed at times, particularly if it goes where it's supposed to go further in the game, you kind of need something yeah. like this to sort of balance a little bit of that out. Uh, and I think that it's a it's a pleasant surprise that they weren't just a figment of the first game, uh, the first yeah. remake, and then gone. I like the fact that they're here and that there's a little bit of that callback, uh, which is really surprising. So I'm happy about this it. This game is it's surprisingly funny, and even at the expense of Cloud at times, which is I think I appreciate that because he could be so so serious and self serious and dour, and like people making fun of him. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, I like that, and I think that that really kind of uh, it really makes it, it takes the 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 seriousness of what this game could be, uh, and then you know levels it out a little bit, and I, yeah. and I think that's that's perfect. I think tone is 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 something that is very hard to get in terms of when you're 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 trying to be funny or trying to do something lighthearted, and then juxtaposed to something that's not so lighthearted i think that they're so far they're they're doing a really good job with that i think there's a lot of yakuza to this game or maybe a lot of 
Final Fantasy VII and Yakuza, depending on how you want to look at it. But right, right. Th- it's always been historically a very quirky game. You know, when you think about Cloud having to dress up as a whole ass woman in, in the room, uh-huh. you know, when you think about the whole dance number he has to do, um, and there's more of that, I guess, in this game based on what I've seen of trailers. I don't, I haven't experienced it myself. So right. there's a lot of that going on um, in, in, in mini games and all that stuff. It's very much like a Yakuza in, in a sense, it's, which is really strange. So I love that they didn't subtract any of that away. Um, yeah. to I tell mean, a very it, melodramatic story without without letting some of that quirkiness come through. It's really good to see. I, I mean, look, in Remake, right before you get into to, to the story of, 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 of this guy kidnapping women, you, you fight a, something called a hell house. I mean, it's... A whole <laughs> like ass they, hell house. They, yeah, they do really cool stuff with that stuff where it's like, this shouldn't make sense and it shouldn't work, but it yeah. works. Yeah, it does. And I guess that's kind of, you know, what makes this this remake trilogy in the making so special. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. now that we're here, Pablo, we kind of have much more to see and do in this game. But any final thoughts about kind of where your head is at so far? And, and maybe to kind of guide us and segue us into the next time we talk about it again, what are some things, what are some aspects of the game that you're really most interested in seeing now that the initial hours are kind of in the books for you? Yeah, I mean, I do see the story taking shape, uh, and I do see that I, I, there's certain things that I'm that I'm already seeing that I, I'm already interested in. But I'm really confident that they'll deliver on the opening of the game. But that's kind of where I'm at. I, I want to see where the game goes story wise, and I, I really hope that they uh, that they I hope they nail it. I hope that they the story that they're trying to tell and the and the questions that were proposed in that first chapter are answered or at the very least addressed in a way where you know all that was not for naught you know i know there's just a second game in a trilogy and I, and i'm totally expecting for some of that stuff to per- perhaps really come into fruition there in the in the, in the last game but uh, I, all my stuff right now in terms of the game itself it's could i'm already i'm already sold on every aspect the only thing that i'm interested in in seeing is is how how pacing uh, of the game goes and mm. and how where the story goes and will i be as enthralled and in, in, in into the into the story as i was a remake I, I don't see why i wouldn't be but in terms of where i'm at right now and, and and where i'm coming from with with chapter with chapter one i really hope that they they nail it but I am confident that they will. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I would say for me, um, maybe a hot take in the making here, but if the game goes where it should go um, and it does what I hope it does uh, without getting into spoilers again, and if it manages to adequately solve the issue of image quality and and with performance Mm -hmm. mode and make quality mode a little bit more usable um, and less juddery, I have every reason to believe this could be easily a top three or top two favorite final fantasy for me of all time um it's it's just doing everything that i wanted it to do and that's not a feeling that i usually get when it comes to my favorite franchises usually my favorite franchises end up kind of jumping the shark you can argue that technically the series had for me last year with Final Fantasy 16 but when it comes to this specific trilogy of remakes uh, for Final Fantasy 7 it's just doing all the things that I wanted and right. that's really really special to me um, the way that this game has advanced and and, and um, evolved over remake is just astonishing to me um, and if it sticks the landing and it does what it needs to do story-wise and it keeps that that amazing balance of quirkiness and melodrama and bringing in more of that tight uh fun and responsive action rpg gameplay into the mix like it has (sighs) 
yeah. I mean, we're talking about kind of a game of the generation for me at the, at that for point. Sure. We're talking about probably a game that could be knocking on the door of top ten all time for me if 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 it goes a certain way. Um, that'll be a tall order because of the games that are ahead of it on my all time list, but it has the potential for me to be that. And that's why what I said earlier about that Breath of the Wild, but for me kind of thing that that's why it's so impactful for me because i am getting that same feeling from this as a lot of zelda fans got when they were exposed to breath of the wild and that is something that is very hard for me to kind of reconcile right now because i just can't believe i'm playing a game that's this good uh with my one of my favorite franchises of all time so i'm still in that like is this real life kind of mindset so i'm loving it so far though I mean, for, for someone who's coming from the other side of that, I think that I agree. I think if this game continues to do what it's doing and, and it improves on at least the, the minor graphs that I have, I think this could go down as, as one, of the, the, one of the best games of all time, for sure. And that's, and that's coming from someone who, again, doesn't have the same nostalgic feelings for, for the original like you do. And, mm-hmm. you know, a good game is a good game. So, you know, nostalgia apart, I think that this game is a good game. And I think that it can continue to, to improve on all the things and, and ultimately end up being one of the best games of the year and 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 honestly one of the best games of all time i mean remake is 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 a game that i've i've looked into you know sneaking into my top 10 but you know haven't haven't been able to do that just yet in terms of what what am i going to sacrifice but i mean mm-hmm. uh, rebirth is, is shaping up to 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 be one of the one of the greats for sure nice nice well um Look, man, we'll probably be talking about this uh, down the road as we kind of put more time and hours into it, but that's going to do it for now. But we're not quite done with loadouts just yet, Pablo, because um, before Final Fantasy VII Rebirth dropped, uh, you did get a chance to work on finishing another game that was on your uh, bucket list. So go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, like a dragon, infinite wealth. I uh, just kind of want to give quick thoughts and my final thoughts on on this game. Uh, after spending like seventy hours, I I came away from the game unfortunately incredibly conflicted. I, I think it does have some of the highest highs of the series, and it uses its past uh, and promises of the future to create some like narrative moments for well earned emotional payoffs. But it fumbles so many moments that you, you, you they didn't quite nail it like they should. Uh, on one hand, you have the makings of an intriguing story that takes you to new and interesting places like Hawaii but on the other hand its main narrative can honestly be downright boring and and honestly just really aimless like pacing we talked about pacing with Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth but pacing in Infinite Wealth is 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 horrible I mean towards the later chapters it falls into these narrative circles that feel like they're purposely stalling there there are many instances where you know exactly what where the story is going but the game holds those obvious reveals back lessening the impact once they decide to show their cards and and, you know as as for the open world aspect of infinite wealth there's a lot to do here from the pokemon the sujimon stuff and the and the dundoki island stuff but none of it interested me and i did ignore them but i i do i do think that the game does suffer from it being overstuffed i know marco kind of nailed that early on but as as time went on it was just there's so much to do and so much of it doesn't really matter uh but you know it, it the story does peak around 
chapter nine and, and the game never uh, completely recovers. I think the game still does an incredible thing with characters. I think their characters are just amazing. Uh, it manages to introduce introduce like amazing characters and further develop the old ones in really interesting ways. Uh, game suffers from a terrible villain problem. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately for me, it's a game of, of highs, but it's a game that actually offers more lows. And, and the highs are so high that at times, you know, it's like, oh man, this game is amazing. But unfortunately, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at what you do in that game and it, that, that the narrative, the main narrative, the main hook of, of all these Yakuza games that are so amazing, uh, it fails pretty badly. I think that the, the, the ending of this game is just atrocious. And I'm not even talking about what you think I'm talking about in terms of what they do with certain characters. I'm talking about just the actual narrative in terms of where they take it. Uh, certain questions are raised that are not even answered or even touched upon. Certain things that you feel like should be an emotional payoff never come into fruition and are largely ignored. It, 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 there's just so many things about this game that that has all the makings of it being one of the great Yakuza games or, if, or Like a Dragon now, but it just never reaches the full potential. I wanted to give this game in our timeless, great time, good time, okay time, rough time, and terrible time grading scale. I wanted to give it a great time, but unfortunately, uh, I had to kind of settle with a good time. Uh, it's bogged down way too often by, by those lows. But other than that, you know, uh, I, ultimately for me, this game just falls under a good time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I was afraid of in a way where it'll, it'll be a good game despite itself um, yeah. and you know yeah I, I, I kind of telegraphed a lot of that early on and I just didn't want to suffer through that I really didn't and yeah. the more I thought about it honestly and especially after hearing your your breakdown there um, I don't know if I'm coming back to this one for a while um, I, I don't know if I yeah. really have any desire to I just feel like like what I said back then when I when I played it I feels like this series is heading in a direction that doesn't speak to me as a longtime Yakuza fan anymore they're just going different places with tone with humor uh, and and the melodrama is just not clicking the same way that it used to and I think it's just right. kind of it's it's kind of going into like mainstream territory in a sense that doesn't really yeah. work anymore for me so yeah and that's the thing. It's a, it's one of those things when the game itself, it's a, it's not about bad writing because they're doing this on purpose. When you're playing as Ichiban, there's certain tonality things that are off the wall wild that don't even really jive with, with the Yakuza series. And when you're playing as Kiryu, you know, that's the more that's the thing that you are more more used to. And it goes down to even boss bosses that you fight as Ichiban and bosses that you fight as Kiryu. It's so obviously trying to show two sides of uh, of the coin and, and it's all done on purpose. And and if you're and if you're like Marco and you feel like maybe the game is going to be a little too hokey, a little bit too uh trying to lean on the comedy too much and be a little too weird. If the future of the game is with Ichiban and by all intents and purposes it is that's exactly where this game is going and even for me someone who I, I, I enjoyed a lot of it I don't think that it quite lends itself to giving you the Yakuza Like a Dragon experience that Yakuza and Like a Dragon fans are wanting and craving and so I feel I'm, I'm a little scared because there's definitely going to be another one I'm a little scared as to where they go um, and uh, I hope that this isn't the beginning of like the downfall of, of this incredible series yeah it just feels like a a weird mixture of like if the hangover films and a hallmark yeah. movie had a baby you know you get this weird <laughs> duality that just makes no sense and just doesn't click for me anymore um yeah. so that's yeah a, it's, that's a good that's a good analogy it ain't it for me man unfortunately so it's definitely a letdown for me this year but um I'm, I'm sorry that it was for you too but at least you were able to get some enjoyment out of it in the process right. though yeah 
Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and move on, though. We got so, Boy, we got a lot to talk about this next segment, which is the new segment of the show. So let's go ahead and dive right into what we call Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, so, you know, here's the deal. In the three years that we've been doing this podcast, I think this is easily the saddest news roundup I think we've ever had as studio closures, game cancellations, and nearly 8,000 layoffs have rocked the gaming industry just this year alone. Uh, but it's February. Uh, but because me and Pablo never shy away from difficult subjects, we are going to confront this and unpack this um, in terms of discussing about all uh, discussing all the latest shakeups and really just speaking candidly about the state of gaming as a whole. Um, so here's kind of the rundown of what took place, uh, at, at least recently. Um, first, we had the the story of Sony laying off 900 employees from their PlayStation division. They believe that delivering their immersive, narrative-driven games and online multiplayer experiences on console, PC, and mobile now requires a different approach to operations and resources in order to have a sustainable business model going forward. Um, Sony's layoffs impacted numerous studios, including Insomniac Games, Naughty Dog, Guerrilla Games, and Fire Sprite. And additionally, PlayStation's London studio has also been closed in its entirety, and multiple projects, including a Twisted Metal title, have been canceled as well. And then EA within a matter of days, followed suit by laying off 670 employees of their own, while also canceling multiple projects, such as Star Wars, uh, a Star Wars first-person shooter title from Respawn Entertainment, and even a single-player Battlefield title. Uh, additionally, EA said they will also be moving away from licensed IP in the future. And then, of course, we also saw Deck Nine, the studio behind Life is Strange, laying off 20% of their staff. This news, along with Microsoft uh, laying off almost 2,000 employees and several other layoffs, as we said earlier at the top of this, has resulted in almost 8,000 total layoffs of developers in just these last th two to three months alone. Uh, two months, really. Um, so I think there's a lot to talk about here, Pablo, but let's, let's kind of start by circling back to PlayStation. Um, based on those layoffs, based on those game cancellations, and based on the studio closure they announced, what would you say is your read of the state of PlayStation right now, based on that? You know, I... The industry is in shambles. I, you know, over-hiring the uh, last couple of years, and then, you know... It, it just feels like there doesn't seem to be an end to this and there doesn't seem to be like what the right answer is. I mean, you got Spider-Man 2 coming out last year and carrying its PlayStation throughout the year, being the fastest selling exclusive in your company's history. And yet Insomniac is laying people off. I it, I This is just feels to me like gross negligence in terms of financial mismanagement in, in, in so many ways. And I think a lot of people have been racing to to take advantage of the fastest growing entertainment business that is the video game industry and and not really valuing 
the people that they're going to affect by doing these moves. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I failed to, I, I can't believe that people were making these financial choices without knowing the potential consequence of these. If something was slightly went off rails that the, 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 what would the cost to the human part of it, like the, the employment part of it and, and how, and, and, and it just doesn't feel like they give a fuck. And I'm not just talking about PlayStation. I'm talking about the industry as a whole, but in terms of PlayStation themselves in the state that they're in, I mean, I, I don't, I don't quite think we have the full picture. How, how are they the market leader? How, how are they uh, the best selling console uh, by having historical sales numbers through ever, you know, I mean, these are like incredible sales figures. Uh, and yet here's, they are you know still unable to 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 maintain employment maintain uh studios and and and, you know a little thing about not a little because a million a few million consoles not being sold bringing your 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 entire you know company to its knees at a 10 billion dollar loss in in the stock market is it's just how volatile the, the, this entire industry is, and how loose PlayStation and and, mo- and other people played with uh with ho- how they hired people. It's just it's 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 weird. I don't know if we have the full picture on that. So it's just it's fucked up, really. At the end of the day, um, I think for me, I would kind of say, um, it's like it's like profit panic. It, I think is what's driving yeah. the state of PlayStation right now. I think they have. A very old and out of date business strategy um, that I think has hampered them quite a bit. I think they have kind of overburdened themselves with this uh, self imposed pressure to create $200 million budget, $300 million budget games um, mm-hmm. that really, even at their best, just are not going to sell enough to make up for the amount of money that's being spent to make them. And I think the, re- the reality is is that Sony has to solve that quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because the problem is, is that even though you're selling the most consoles, um, and even though you have mindshare, you're really not putting a lot of money in your pocket as a result of that. Um, and that's, that's kind of scary, because what they're doing is essentially working, but it's still not sustainable. Um, it's almost kind of the opposite effect of Xbox when you think about it. Obviously, Xbox right. is being supported by Microsoft, so they're really not in any kind of financial struggle, at their, even at their worst. Um, but Xbox overall is profitable for them, uh, even though they're not selling particularly well, and even though their games are generally seen as inferior, whether you believe that or not, is up, you know, is subjective, but... Generally speaking, they're they're not in the same echelon in the eyes of the public as PlayStation games are. PlayStation has the opposite problem where they have the popularity. They are selling consoles. They are their games are seen generally as being better or more favorable, but they're just not in a good financial situation. So they're they're in a really weird position of um, being successful and kind of suffering from it. Um, so. They're in a very strange spot, and it, it is their fault, in my opinion. Um, they have to figure out what it is they need to do to make to be a profitable company that does not come at the cost of, of getting rid of the people that help make these games happen. Because ultimately, the, the games are what's going to drive people to your brand. And if you're getting right. rid of those people because you need to save money, then what, what, then, then what is the pipeline going to be? How are you going to get games out? with you gutting some of the most important studios you have under PlayStation. So 
it's just like I don't see a way forward for them that really works in my brain. You know, these layoffs are going to help save money, but it's going to make games probably take longer to make. So then then how do you come out ahead? You know what I mean? Even then, the the quality of games because you nailed it with the whole you know the the profit. I mean, not the profit. The uh, the budget for these games are ridiculous, and so like if if they don't want to spend that money like they were before, like what what's going to happen with Spider Man three? Like it costs three hundred million dollars to make two. I mean, I can't possibly think it's going to cost less to make part three. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it it's just one of those things where it's like. You're right. Where do they go from here? I, I think the answer is clear, but people are not going to want to hear it. And that's go third party. <laughs> well, at but, least you know, day and date drops on PC or, you know, right. Getting, getting yeah. Some yeah. of that kind of energy going on, like like what Helldivers got to enjoy. Um, that's right. I, I think that it, what, what it feels like to me, though, is it's like the expectation is now we want you to make games faster with a smaller budget and less people make just as much money with, with less people doing right. it. Yeah. And yeah. and it's uh, that's like you know the, the perfect scenario for any CFO of a business ever, you know do more with less and make more money doing it, and I mean good luck with that right I mean right. It, it's you know it's not even a case of like oh we'll just kind of overwork the people that are left behind because now their morale is kind of down the tubes <laughs> like well, now the whole you're working industry, for, I mean how can you got yeah. people pissed off to be to to even do their jobs anymore that that didn't lose their yeah. jobs so like what how does this all work out well. In the end, you right. know, yeah, and, and morale based the whole industry. Even if you weren't affected by the layoffs, even if you work for a company that didn't let you off yet, at this point you're asking when, really, you right. know, because it, it, it seems to be affecting everybody. No matter how much, how big you are, how small you are, how much money you have, it, it, it just really seemingly doesn't matter. The entire industry is is an absolute shambles, and uh, yeah, I, I like what you said. Profit panic. I think that's that's right on, and. Um, PlayStation has created uh, a place where they are seen as the number one uh, leader in, in, in video game sales and console sales. But, you know, now we know how they got there and it's not sustainable. So, you know, what are they going to do? I don't know. It, it, it seems like this is a big problem. And I don't think I don't think I've seen enough people talk about the long term ramifications of this, because this isn't just like, OK, we laid off 900 people. We're good to go. You know, there, there it's not it, there's. There's so much more to this as a whole um, that is, is is really concerning for the entire industry and and not to and not to be console baity here, but I mean, you know, uh, Phil Spencer said like he doesn't see exclusive being as a thing in five to ten years, and he, this seems like we we know why. You know, it just is not sustainable anymore. Games are just becoming way too more expensive to make. Yeah, well, I think the big bet that they all made was that when COVID hit, that there would be an uptick in gamers and. Um you know, and I think that was kind it of was for a little bit. It, yeah, but it was a misplaced, you know, bet because we you don't know we didn't know mm-hmm. how long COVID was going to last. We didn't know how long it was going to take for vaccines or how long it was going to take for society to go back to normal again. So to kind of expect that to happen and then hire around a possibility, I mean, it was nice to kind of think about you know like okay, it's 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 good that they did that just in case that does come true, but. In the event that it didn't, I mean, now it's just like a bloodbath. And so I, right. I, I almost don't like the COVID reason any, anymore because it's, um, I just think it was foolish for some of these companies to overhire to this extent and, and then all kind of fire in mass to the point where they've completely made entering the gaming industry sound like the worst career move ever. You know, it just, exactly. it just made this industry look like 
it does not care how talented you are. It does not care about your legacy, how many years of seniority you have in a company. None of that matters if our bottom line is a little off because of some bad decisions that the higher ups made at the top of the building. And I think that's just a really shitty way of, of, of business. And it's got to stop coming at the cost of the people that actually make the magic happen, um, which is seemingly not going to end anytime soon, which is really lousy. Um, but we did kind of hint at this being a bigger issue beyond just PlayStation and Xbox, and it is. So that kind of leads to the second question here, Pablo. So let's kind of speak more holistically uh, about mm-hmm. the industry-wide problem here. And I kind of want you to kind of, in plain terms, tell me what these layoffs are signaling to you about the state of the gaming industry. Yeah, I think, I mean, you covered a lot of that stuff up front, but I think the industry itself is, anytime there's an industry that is growing quickly, people want to take advantage of that. And I think when you have these uh, companies like EA, who really their main focus is to make money, uh, they are going to ride that wave as much as possible. If people want if people want IP, like Star Wars and stuff like that, that's what they're going to do. And if it doesn't work, then you know those people who are involved in that are fucked. And I just feel like right now where we are within the industry, it just is a place where right the big companies are who were writing the checks were the ones kind of controlling and the the environment controlling the the narrative in terms of what games are going to be and the future of games i think that they're in a position right now where they don't they have no idea and i think that's very dangerous because when the big players when when, when the people who are the tastemakers as as you will when they don't know what's next that's when you we're going to get into a situation where there's going to be even more splintering, even more people taking bigger chances to kind of get out of this rut and, and, and end up hurting even more people, you know? And so right now, I think that it, we're in a rudderless spot with, with the industry. I think the industry itself has no idea what's next, even though they might tell you, hey, we're doing this in order for the future, but they don't know what that is necessarily because when you look at what EA has done specifically with with Respawn and, and, and Battlefield, you know, two different things in terms of a Star Wars IP game and Battlefield being one of their pillars for such a long time it, it, it there's it's two different things and yet they're, they're getting the same kind of treatment they're, they're both being canceled two things are being completely put off to the way, wayside so it feels to me like they are really uh, in a rudderless spot they have no idea where to go and they have no idea how to get there yeah that confusion i think is really alarming and i think that's why a lot of people like you know a lot of xbox personalities playstation personalities and just you know talking heads in this space do the thing that I always want people not to do, which is to try to make to try to make it make sense, to try to explain mm-hmm. the situation up to Microsoft and tell them what the problem. Like this is what they get paid to do. This is their job right. to figure out this mess, and they put themselves in it. So, um, to answer the question on, on my side, I think that what this means about the state of the gaming industry is that it's shrinking. Um, you know, the, the days of of you know, these last five, six, maybe seven years, I think have been, you know, while there have been great games, I'm not saying that it's been bleak. Um, there's been far too many big budget games that are just made with the wrong intentions that don't click. There's a lot of pick me games, particularly in the games of service space that everyone hedged their bets on making money, uh, printing money for them that this didn't happen. So, the days of, of throwing a lot of money to make very poorly conceived games with bad intentions are, are kind of over. Um, and I think in that sense, I think the gamers have kind of spoken that, you know, we're not riding for that anymore. Um, you know, gamers will line up and buy a great game, 
Baldur's Gate Absolutely. three Baldur's Gate three is a is a recent example. Pal World, you know, things like that, where it just take Hell Divers two. These games that are made great will sell great. But when you're making games with this this false sense of 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 earnesty and you're doing it to really just kind of grab at people's wallets and do do the do the you know the scuzzy things that they've been doing over the years, eventually that's just going to stop being effective because people are are not going to care anymore. That's why there's a graveyard of hundreds of live service games right now and probably more coming. You know, it's just we're in an era where that's not going to work anymore. And now that that has failed and all these companies have dumped all this money and manpower and labor and resources into making those bad games, now they have to pivot and shift and and shrink and Unfortunately, the expense of that is these talented people losing their jobs, making <laughs> it's not even their fault that they're making a bad game. They're being told to yeah. make a bad game nine times out of 10 by the publishers or by shareholders or whomever that have no say so or no understanding of what makes a great game. And they're the ones paying the price for it by losing their job. So I think in the end, what this signals to me is that the gaming industry is, is shrinking and it's very sick in the way that it's it's being ran right now. And um, the. There is no, and, and maybe this is me overstepping, but you can't business your way out of some business problems. You're going to have yeah. to be a human again at some point and realize you're not going to make the business better by treating the people worse. You're not going to make the business better by wasting your money on making bad games and then taking it out on the people that you made make them. You know, like at some point, you're not going to finagle your way out of that. You're not no bean counter in the world is going to be able to have a solution for that. You're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to get a little bit more honest. You're going to have to get more earnest. And that's where I hope the the industry goes. We'll talk about that more with the last question we're going to ask about all this. But I think right now the the unhealthiness of the industry is what's most apparent uh, by far. Um, I want to troubleshoot a little bit, though. Or at least kind of yeah. single out one aspect of, of this whole situation. Because it is something that's come up in the conversations about layoffs and downsizing and restructuring, as it were. Um, out of everything, Pablo, that is contributing to these mass layoffs and restructuring, what percent of the blame do you roughly give to industry consolidation? I mean, I, I, I'd have to say... Probably 70% of it. Um, mm. I, I think consolidation is the, is they thought was the cure. You know, uh, you, you consolidate, you, you, larger companies acquire smaller companies, they want to boost growth and they want to optimize certain operational things. You know, and, and what, ha- what happens there is when you do that, Unfortunately, you still have to kind of pare down and you still have to get skinny a little bit when it, when you acquire these huge companies. But in terms of that, a lot of companies taking on a lot of debt in order to, uh, you know, take advantage of the industry and, and make a lot of money. Like you look, look, look at Embracer Group. Uh, Embracer Group is a, is a prime example of that. Acquiring a whole bunch of companies, a whole bunch of employees under their belt. And then sadly, them pretty much just getting all fired just based on the fact that a $2 billion deal that they thought they had didn't go through. And so when you consolidate, and, and especially how much consolidation is happening right now in the industry, I think a lot of that they seem that, to, like I said, it, it seems to be like the cure for what ails them. And right now, I think it's even hurting them even more. So uh, 
whatever issues that the, the industry had, it's made worse by these consolidations. Uh, even when you look at Xbox and acquiring Zenimax and all that. I mean, maybe they, maybe that specific example didn't net out to too many people losing their jobs, but they still did. And, and the fact that they did that is because still they're trying to to grow, get bigger, and, and, and take advantage of that by making more money. But uh, unfortunately, when it comes to those kind of actions, the, the, the human side of it is not it's there's it's not put into this equation at all there's just like let's 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 get let's get more and and, and sell for more it's basically the entire idea behind this so when you look at the video game industry and, and them and all the consolidation happening i think it's a huge percentage just simply based on the fact that it's just making everything worse yeah no, i understand that i would say it's probably 50 50 for me i think um I think the reality is a lot of the consolidation efforts um, that have happened, you know, I, I think that a lot of it is coming down to um, when a studio is, is acquired, you know, let's throw a scenario. Let's say, let's say Microsoft acquires Activision Blizzard, right? You get all the studios, you get everything under, that comes with it. Um, the reality is, is can the purchaser manage effectively what they've purchased and i think in a lot of cases i mean that specific example is kind of tbd but in a lot of cases that we've seen so far particularly with the embracer groups of the world and stuff like that the answer is like they eh, not really they're not really they're not really that good at that mm -hmm. um and I, I think what they want through acquisitions is like instant plug and play success you know when when sony acquires bungie Bungie's just going to start printing money for Sony, and that's just what's going to happen. And, you know, lo and behold, Destiny 2 starts dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. All of a sudden, layoffs happen at Bungie. All of a sudden, you know, it's it's looking a little spooky, like there might be a hostile takeover happening. And now what you what you end up dealing with is, you, you know, if, if you're the independent studio that's on the outside looking in, watching what's happening there, you're going, well, I don't want to be acquired. <laughs> You know, like I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. want to be under the ruling of one big conglomerate that doesn't know how to manage studios because then oh, that's just going to we're going to. Yeah, we're going to go get acquired. You know, it's going to be hunky dory for a couple months or maybe a year or two. And then something's going to happen that's going to affect, you know, whoever it is, Sony, Microsoft, whoever you want to put there. And then they're going to just take it out on us. Well, sorry, our business sucks, so now we have to fire innocent people. You know, like why would I why would I want to sell my company up to a place like that? So I think that's kind of the flaw with industry consolidation is it's 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 fun to think about who's Microsoft gonna acquire next, who's PlayStation gonna buy next. It's it's the sexy conversation, but the yeah. reality of that conversation is when those studios are bought, then they're just kind of subjected to whatever fuckery sony or xbox or whoever might put them through and it might not even be their fault you know like they'll be they'll be laid off for reasons that have something to do with another studio under the umbrella right, right. right? so that's that's why industry consolidation is becoming a bit dangerous to me um now fourth question i have here um many people have argued pablo that and we referenced it earlier that the cost and the development time of making AAA games is partly at fault for what's happening right now. So how do we feel about that? And do we think that maybe shifting from more AAA titles to maybe more AA titles would be a better alternative? Why or why not? 
it's a catch-22. The industry is growing. Things, technology is growing. Things are getting better visually. You know, it's getting a little more complicated and complex to make these games. And so, yeah, I mean, triple. I mean, again, Spider-Man Two cost three hundred million dollars to make. What, wherever that money went, it still cost three hundred million dollars to make. And so, is it hurting the industry? I mean, yeah, I think it's not. It's not quite helping it, especially when it takes six, seven years to make a game. And you know, like you've mentioned, software moves the needle, right? That's that's what people buy consoles for is to play the games. And if you don't have games, games to play then at that point what's you know they're not going to make that money but here's the issue if you don't have a big triple a game to to, to sell with your console uh, you're still in that same boat where it's like okay then why should i buy this game now double the games are great you know I, I think that we should definitely be getting more of those i think you know when you look at the comparison to the movie industry the big marvel films are great but the smaller indie films and they don't really get made anymore and so unfortunately with that it's, it's all you have an oversaturation in the market and so right now you know, with gaming being a little different because it takes so long to make games, it's hard to say whether or not that's, if it is the issue, taking that away, is that going to help or is that just going to even hurt it even more? Because you still need those AAA games to sell those consoles. But I don't think moving to AA is is the, 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 the course in terms of like what's going to help the industry. And then again, you have the definition of what a, a, a double a or triple a game is immortals of avium in terms of like the the, the budget right and when we're talking about that immortals of avium costs 85 million dollars to make that's technically a double a game but i mean 85 million dollars is still 85 million dollars yeah. it took years to make still so it, it's a very it's a very it's a hard it's a hard question to answer directly because it is a a, a catch-22 you damn if you have a triple a AAA game that costs you 300 million dollars to make and took six years to make or damn if you don't if you don't have a triple a game to move your new console you know so it's it's a very difficult thing to to to, to parse out but it, it's it there's no for me there's no good answer to this question because i think that the answer to this is yes but also no you know well i'm gonna attempt the most good answer i can i can think <laughs> of um i think when it comes to triple a games the real issue, and this, and I kind of look at PlayStation for this predominantly, but this applies everywhere, of course, is that not every game is deserving of a AAA type of budget, of a AAA type of designation, rather. Um, and I think that AAA has kind of become um, overly abundant, actually. I do think there's an excess of AAA games in the space. And a lot of the reason why some AAA games flop so often is because they're not really meeting that uh, the expectation of what a quality AAA experience actually is. A lot of a lot of AAA games are AAA games that are really really AA games at their core. They just get yeah. more money than they deserve and more polish than they, than they deserve, and so they become a very expensive disappointment um, from a business standpoint. So I think what would help in terms of giving you that good answer is that there should be a reduction in the amount of games that every console maker or publisher designates as a triple a experience um i think that would go a long way and i think i think there should be more double a titles that are brought in with a lower budget that are not these long 50 60 70 hour sprawling padded open world rpgs like it, it is totally okay to make an, a double a game that's 10 15 20 hours long and those can but be then- successful yeah, and I and I agree. I I agree because that's that's smart and that's like the the way to think about these kind of things. But you know, unfortunately, when you look at the, the at the fans and, and the consumers, like you know, you're selling a game at seventy dollars. 
they, you know, hey, we're making a, a 20, 25 hour game. Oh, I'm not buying that for $70. It's not worth my time. And, then well, you, and the talking points that, that we talked 100%. about last week in terms of what devs say, 100 hours worth of whatever, it's like, okay, that seems like a bang for your buck. When really, and the reality is, it's not. You know, it's all filler. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, you're, you're nailing it. And, and that's actually going to lead me to what I was going to say next is for, for AA titles to be better received, they have to be priced appropriately. When you think about what you just said right there, and then I look mm-hmm. at a game like Helldivers 2, comes out at 40 bucks, and look what that game managed to achieve, right? That's the kind yep. of thing that, that matters is, you know, the cost of game development, enough of that. Like, I get, we all get that games cost a lot to make, but you still cannot price every damn thing at 70 bucks. You just can't, right? It's totally okay to price a game at 40 bucks or 30 bucks um, and, and take the world by storm. Like Pal World managed to do at that price point, and like what you know Helldivers is doing right now at the, at that price point, I think these these companies are going to have to get comfortable with pricing games lower in order to cast a wider net and get a larger audience. Especially mm-hmm. if it's a game that has the potential to kind of be the, in the zeitgeist like that. Even if it's games like you know Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart for PlayStation Five, I heard was around seventy to eighty million dollars to make, which is again. Right expensive in most cases but cheap by playstation standards and that game is about 12 13 14 hours long um if you can figure out a way to make more games like that and just kind of meet people in the right place with price i think that a lot of things can change playstation in particular is sitting on a lot of dormant ip sly cooper jack and daxter these these socom these franchises that still mean something to people that you can bring back at a budget price which populates your your entire year which gives you games that you can talk about, gives you, you know, hopefully high Metacritic scores to keep you in, in the, the zeitgeist and keep you in the, in the mindshare territory you want to be in. And, you know, that to me is the, is the better play than just, well, every single yeah. game we have to make has to be $300 million and take eight years to make. Like, at the rate we're going with The Last of Us Part 3, I don't know when the hell we're going to get that oh my game. God. You know? And so the problem we're running into now with AAA game development is you don't know when... I, when I bought the PlayStation 5, I, would, I bought it expecting that at some point I'm probably going to play The Last of Us Part 3 on that console. Right. I have no idea that's going to happen now. Actually, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, now. I don't think so either. Right? About so, say, yeah. so now it's rent, now game development and AAA standards is getting so out of control that you don't even really know what you're going to get when you buy the console that comes out. Yeah. That's it, not great. No. And the thing is, with everything you're saying, I, I, I agree, but... Now we have to put our trust in these bad faith actors in the industry that they're not going to, you know, revive a a a, a much, much anticipated IP and make it a smaller 12 to 15 hour game and still not charge you $70 for it. You know what I mean? So it's like I think that you're, everything that you said is correct. I think that that's the way forward. But man, they love to call the game AAA because that's like a marketing thing. And, you know, they love to to take mm-hmm. out something to, to bring something back that we, we we've not seen in a while and then charge you seventy bucks for it. I mean, Ratchet and Clank is a great example. Rift Apart was a it's a decent game. I know you liked it more than me, but I mean, at seventy dollars for a twelve hour experience, that's you know that you're asking a lot of, a lot from people to do that. And so like at that point, we have to then trust these guys who 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 are among hungry and have put the industry in the position that they are now to make the right choices and make a game like that 50 60 bucks you know so i i i think you're right it's just now we have to contend with the characteristics of that entity right and i don't think that we've seen any of them 
Xbox included, PlayStation, all of them, be good guys and, and actually think about the human element of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, it's great. It's a, it's, it's a great observation, and I think you're right. That's, that's where it's going to really matter at the end of the day. That's what I said. Like, if you can't business your way out of these problems, right, you, right. And, you know, your, your comparison about bad faith actors, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, there is going to have to be some kind of modesty and humility and, and approachability to these people that are making these decisions now because you're just going to keep turning people off. Yep. You're really going to keep turning off the fans. You're going to keep turning off the talent. And that's just going to get worse and worse. I um, want to wrap this up, though, with a quick, you know, uh, thought experiment, you know, um, based on all the, the shocking shifts that we're seeing in the industry, Pablo, how would you best describe what you think the next five years of gaming will be like with everything in mind? Remakes, remasters and re-releases. That's hey. <laughs> I just think, you know, I mean, look. Remakes maybe not so much, right? More more remasters. I I don't know. The five the the next five years is going to be really interesting. I I I don't know what X. I know Xbox has st- down things in terms of what they have things coming out. Sorry, uh, but I don't know exactly when those things are coming out. I don't know if these current problems with the industry has slowed any of that down. PlayStation has got, come to the end of a lot of their big franchises. Now they're moving into the next part of that, whether it be a sequel or a new IP. And so I, like we talked about all, all segment long, these things take time now. AAA games make take a long time to make. So I think that the next five years in video games, besides maybe kind of taking Nintendo out of it a little bit, uh, I, I think that it's going to be probably really rough. I think we're going to see less output. I think we're going to see less games of the caliber of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and Alan Wake 2. I think that we're going to see less of that. We're still going to see that there's still going to be some games that come out that are going to be great, amazing. But, you know, this year alone, when you look at the top rating games, there's a lot of 90s and 80s coming out this year. Last year was an incredible year for gaming uh, in terms of how games were received critically. But the next five years, I think we're, we're going to look back on these years and think like the ending of the PlayStation 5, the Xbox Series X is going to be rough. Uh, I do think that there are going to be some shining uh, moments here and there. But ultimately, as a whole, uh, when we look back at, oh, man, that's a tough year for gaming. I think we're going to come upon a few of these years in the next few years that are going to be like, oof, that's that's not a good year for gaming. Ooh, that's that's that was an even worse year. I think we're gonna see a few of those. Mm-hmm. What about what about you? Yeah, you know, to me, I think that what's ahead for us for the next couple of years is I think third parties are going to really carry um the next few years on on their backs. I think that's what's gonna happen. Not, EA, not to say that, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, not to say everybody's going to be getting there smooth, but like EA and stuff, and Ubisoft has always, you know, struggled with things. But when you think about like the companies that make like the Baldur's Gates and, you know, things like that, you know, I think those types of, of, of studios and those types of projects are what's going to keep the, the industry moving in a, in a positive direction. Um, and I think while that's happening, I think it's going to be a period of time where a lot of internal discussions are going to happen between playstation and, and nintendo uh and and uh and, and microsoft where they're gonna really be really re- really reevaluating what constitutes as i said earlier what constitutes a triple a AAA game how long those games really should idealistically take to make and how many people it's it's gonna require to really make them in a conceivable way um and i think that in those discussions and and the restructuring that's going to happen around that there is going to be 
some dry spells. And I think, you know, and, and this isn't console war bait or anything like that, but I think PlayStation's going to have the hardest problem in that area, probably. I think so, too. Um, to the point where, you know, like I said a minute ago about third parties carrying, the, you know, the, the gaming industry, I think third parties are going to continue to kind of carry PlayStation for a good while. Um, not to say they don't have games coming out next year, and, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be bone dry, but I think predominantly when you look at, like, the third party exclusive strategy, I think you're still going to see a lot of that going on yeah. um, to, to still drive people to, to their console for an exclusive experience, whereas I think I think Xbox, through the acquisition of ABK, um, is going to probably have a more consistent pipeline of internal projects that will come out at a decent cadence, so that they're probably going to run into that less. The, the issue that Microsoft is going to have is, are those games that are exclusives, that are first-party titles, are they going to be good enough to drive people to the Xbox yeah. brand, which is a problem they've had for years. So I think at the end of the day, there's, there's, there's still going to be first-party struggles to come across the board. I think Nintendo's probably in the best position of all three Absolutely. by far. Um, but I think third parties are really going to keep the, um, yeah. the, the industry alive and active while these companies are figuring their shit out. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and as for Sony, like to, to kind of piggyback on that a little bit, I think just Sony just got caught in a bad spot. Like the industry kind of got, got into a position where it's like, oh, they're fucked. And then, you know, Insomniac just wrapped up with, with, with Spider-Man. You, you have uh, what uh, Gorilla games wrapping up with, with, with Horizon you have the, the naughty uh, naughty dog uh, in a position where they haven't even started their next game and then you have Santa Monica Studios you know with God of War just wrapping that up so it, it's it, it just it's a they just got a, they got caught in a real bad spot so I think you're right I think the first party output is going to be really 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 dry comparatively speaking anyway uh, and yeah. um, you know this is the time for those other teams to, to, to uh, I'm not going to say take advantage because that sounds sleazy but you know really step up their game and like you said I think Nintendo's definitely oh, yeah. the one that has uh, the the best uh, outcome in terms of the next five years. Yeah, well, that's going to wrap up kind of our segment about how the industry is burning. But uh, you have a news item here that we can talk about before we wrap up uh, the news segment. So go ahead and kick us off, man. Yeah, it's some good news from the unlikeliest places. Embracer Group. They have announced mm. that they're selling off Saber Interactive, the makers of Space Marine Two and the the Kotor remake that they're supposedly making, for five hundred million dollars. Also, Gearbox is finalizing a deal to split from Embracing Group as well. As we know, Embracer Group has been the poster child of layoffs, game cancellations, and gross financial negligence after they acquired a large batch of studios back in 2020. So, first of all, how do we feel about these studios being set free from Embracer Group? And secondly, how do we think the news will affect the culture remake uh, that Saber Interactive is working on? Yeah, so, you know, we talked a minute ago about, um, you know, companies in, in industry consolidation. Um, this is kind of what I mean. I think we're going to see more of this like, hey, we're just going to kind of we're going to kind of do it solo. <laughs> we're we're not going to do this. Yeah, we're going to get out of here. We're going to just kind of try to finalize a buyout or get sold to private investors or just anywhere else that is not a major, major organization like Embracer Group that has the power to just blow everything up and, and with the snap of a finger. Um, that that's. That shit's for the birds now, man. For and, sure. And these companies are not willing to watch everything they've built, their entire legacies, their histories, their franchises, just be subject to being Thanos snapped out of existence like that. So I'm, I'm really happy for both of these companies. Um, I'm not a big Gearbox fan because I'm not a big fan of Borderlands or anything Facts. like that or Randy Pitchford. Ugh. But, you know, I mean, in the spirit of, 
you know, independence and not just kind of being eaten alive by industry foolery, I'm, I'm really glad that both of these companies are going to get a chance to exist in a different plane and be able to hopefully stay the course and do what they want to do and not have the big bad embracer group come in one day and say enough of you you're closed mm-hmm. you know so i think that's that's a good thing to see so i'm happy about it as far as the kotor remake that saber interactive is is working on I think this is good news that they will not have the the pressure of Embracer Group kind of tainting or troubling whatever this development process is going to be. Uh, I'm also glad for PlayStation that it's still apparently a thing. Um, but I'm obviously very much concerned that the project is still not going to end up being really great um, because... Let's face it, Saber Interactive isn't exactly a prestige studio by any stretch of the imagination. They are right, but, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, like, they're not who I would give this project to. I'll just put it that way. Um, But, you know, hey, if it's still on, if it's still a thing and Sony still gets exclusivity for it, then I guess that works out great for everybody, especially KOTOR fans like me. But it's a wait and see, of course. But uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I... I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I trust these two studios like Saber uh, Interactive and 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 um, and Gearbox like you said, but you know I I I'm I'm excited about Space Marine too, and I was a little worried about that. I know that game is coming out later this year, and I was worried with everything happening with Bracer Group that something was going to happen with that. That seems to be going well. Uh, as for the Kotor remake, um, I don't know, man. I I want to see this happen, but I don't know if I'm necessarily excited that Saber Interactive is making it. Uh, and so I don't know with the industry and how it is right now, what exactly that deal looks like in terms of financials. Uh, are they going to have a big budget and be able to make Kotor remake? At, in the, in, in the same way that Final Fantasy made their remake or even The Last of Us, even if it is a one-for-one. Um, I, I just feel like if we ever do get, some, get something from Saber Interactive in terms of a remake, it, like you said, it just won't be particularly anything special. And I think in order for Kotor to be, you know, remade, I think in order for that to, to, to make sense, I think it does need to be special. So, I, I, again, I'm glad that this is happening. This is just the first steps for, for these studios. Uh, but in terms of that specifically, I'm not necessarily too excited as to what the outcome of those things may be. Yeah, I mean, let's let's hope they, they play their cards right and, and make things happen, and hopefully, at least for the KOTOR remake, that representatives from PlayStation come in there and keep it real and make sure mm. that that project is on the right track, because they spent money on that thing, so they want to get their money's worth, and you know, you can't you can't take a game with that kind of legacy and make it a flop, so yeah. um, definitely is something that's it's worth keeping an eye on. Um, but yeah, that is going to do it uh, for our Hit Points news segment this week. Um Lots of stuff going on. Uh, you know, I think secretly the thing I'm the happiest about is that companies like EA are moving away from licensed IP in the future, Pablo. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm ready for that to be done with. I'm so tired of comic book games and Star Wars games. I'm ready to move on with my life and see some original ideas again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the only thing I'm a little slightly disappointed on is just kind of... I wonder what that Mandalorian first-person shooter game by Respawn was going to be, because I know yeah. they, they make such good first-person shooters, and I love the Jedi series. And so uh, seeing that and kind of mixing it with what 
they do best. I was really interested to see what they do because you know the Mandalorian has yeah. jetpacks, the mobility, all that. That's all stuff that respawn does really well. So I would love to have seen a respawn as first person shooter with that uh, IP on it. But you know it is what it is. It, it, it's canceled. Or just make Titanfall. Or just, just make, make. I mean, Titanfall. I mean, if the result of this is this Titanfall three, <laughs> then fuck everything I just said. That's what I want. I want Titanfall yeah. three. But if that's really that's what, what happens I mean. here, Go back to that. yeah, if that's really yeah. what happens here, then I'm all for it. But I, I, I am a little disappointed on that front where I was interested to see what exactly that could have been. But other than that, it's it, it, I'm all for it. Now let it burn. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, look, before we keep going with our main event of the show, this is just a friendly reminder that our show is not for everybody. We're not for console warriors. We're not for the easily triggered. And we're definitely not for the closed-minded. So if you can appreciate that and you like listening to gaming podcasts that do not pull punches, consider subscribing to our show whenever you listen to our podcast uh, or, or any podcast in general. We're here as an alternative for whatever you're listening to. Uh, we drop new episodes every single week with our honest takes on all things video games, and we'd love to have you join us. Uh, so... Let's go ahead and move on to the main event of the show that we call the Checkpoint Chat. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, so for Checkpoint Chat this week, uh, to celebrate the release of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, me and Pablo got to thinking about uh, you know, our, our histories with RPGs, both Japanese RPGs and Western RPGs, and we decided to devise a list of our personal top five favorite RPG companions of all time. Now, for those of you listening to the show, perhaps you can think of five characters that you liked running with in your RPG history. And so uh, listen along, see if any of the names we drop are ones that you'd have on your list. But uh, we've each devised five of our favorites here, and we're going to go round robin to list them off from five all the way up to number one and tell you what made them such uh, special characters to us in all the ways they did. So, uh, Pablo, Let's go ahead and start with you. What is your fifth favorite RPG companion ever? Yeah, I mean, maybe a little recency bias here, but I'm going to go ahead and go with Shadowheart. I mean, you can pick Ooh. a number of companions for Baldur's Gate 3, but Shadowheart to me is like the most endearing, and I think her story is, for me, the most interesting. She's like this person, she's conflicted. She's a devout follower of Ashar with strong sense of duty, which is being challenged by her current reality, having this uh, fucking worm in her head. Uh, as my love interest in the game, her complexity definitely deepened, uh, and ha- now she had to contend with her love over duty and i think that uh, there are moments in this game that really uh, stand out you know when you look at other characters in games uh you know your character's main uh your main character's influence over them always uh it can change them for for lack of, of of you know for good or bad uh and they show that growth i think of like jack from mass effect to a person who was completely misunderstood but her motivation and her growth in the game i think is baked into the game rather than shepherd is the one who leads her there i think shadowheart is completely opposite of that she's her own person uh and she can be your partner she can continue her path of being a devout follower Shar, or completely give herself to evil uh the path i took led her to heartbreak but also freed her from Shar. so it's like there's so many things that 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 this character could go through but it's specifically based on your relationship with her and seeing her through in terms of her growth in the game and i think that when you look at other rpgs there are a lot of their stories are are, are, are interesting and, and some are deep but none fewer go deeper than Baldur's gate three characters in terms of how really you can get into their personality and change it based on little specific moments that you have throughout the the game itself 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Shadow Hearts quickly risen up the ranks for a lot of people as a all timer, uh, and and I think deservingly so. You know, I, I cooled off on Baldur's Gate three, of course, but uh, Shadow Heart was not one of the reasons why. By far, she was a great character, a lot of depth, a lot of emotional range, and I thought she brought a lot to that story that made it very special. So yeah, I definitely understand why she cracked uh, your top five, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's a recent addition. It's still a worthwhile one, I think. Um, my number five is actually a controversial character that. Um, some people really don't like from this game. Uh, ironically, it's the game we just referenced a moment ago. Uh, it's a character from Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic named Karth Onassi. Um, Ooh, Onassi. So Karth, oh so nasty. Um, <laughs> Karth is a really interesting character because he is sort of, he's, he's seen by a lot of people um, who are fans of KOTOR as like a whiny type of character. But I think he's a very misunderstood guy uh, in the context of the story. He has an extremely traumatic background um, that he explains as you kind of, you know, bring down his walls and, and, and kind of let him open up to you and explain to you his situation and what makes him the way he is as a person. And I think it's one of the best representations of how to handle a flawed character um, from a, you know, a flawed personality standpoint and, and having, you know, trauma and post-trauma and, and how that affects the way he engages with people. I think the way they did that in KOTOR was absolutely sensational to the point where I think some of his unlikability was intentional. Mm. Um, and that's just brilliant writing, I think, to me, is when you can make someone unlikable intentionally and then you can kind of bring it back around full circle and go, oh, now I get why he's the way he is because of this thing and that thing and the other thing. And I think that dimension that he has as a character is really, really fun um, to, to get to know. Um and depending on whether you choose the the light side or the dark side, you know, especially if you choose the dark side, I mean, his reaction to that is so human and so emotional. And it's 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 one of the things that kind of seared into me when I, you know, when I tried that path. And it's like, man, I, I feel I feel like horrible yeah. for, you know, screwing him over and then proving him right about being paranoid about people and relationships and stuff. So I think the way all that was handled was brilliant. And he just really stuck out to me as a character that I had to shout out here, even though most people don't like him. So Carthor Nassi from KOTOR is my number five. Yeah. Um, Number four for you, Pablo. What do you got here? Yeah, number four comes from my favorite Final Fantasy game, and that's Oren from Final Fantasy X. Uh, you know, hey. this is, uh, for me, he was, I remember looking at this guy come on screen just being a complete badass, mysterious stranger showing up right at the beginning of the game during the destruction of, of Xanarkin. And, you know, the thing about him is the more you play the game, you realize he's, he's more than just like a really cool design, badass companion. He is, for the most part, the, catal- the catalyst to a lot of the events in Final Fantasy X. Like, he literally gave his life to save Yuna by becoming an unsent, which is basically a dead man walking, along with Titus, and uh, he becomes Yuna's guardian. And at that point, when you look at other characters in that game specifically, joining Titus and Yuna are based on video game reasons. But... Like, Oren's connection to Titus and Yuna is tied to his life. And as he's already given his life, he's now there to fulfill a promise so that he can be laid to rest. And it's just this really complex and deep story about what he is trying to accomplish as a character. And so he is great. He's a great, uh, you know, he's great with combat. He's one of the more powerful characters in the game. All that aside, in terms of the story, I, I... 
I, for me, it was like finding out what he was, finding out what he did, and finding out all the things that led up to that moment is just one of those like most shocking moments for me during that game. Yeah, I mean, he's such a unique character in that he's so measured and so even-keeled and so knowledgeable that um, he's really the security blanket of that, that mm-hmm. entire game. Um, I, I, yeah, he was almost always in my party for that reason. Mm-hmm. I just thought he was so cool. His design is cool. The way his, his, the voice acting, you know, the English voice actor was great. Oh, it's yeah. a perfect, you know, representation of the character. And just having that type of presence in that party of characters was really, really special. So, yeah, yeah. he's and, hands down one of the best uh, companions in Final Fantasy history, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and, I, and I love the, the, the iconic moment, that speech uh, towards the end of the game where he's like, now this is it and all that shit. Because uh. <laughs> that came out of, like, he was, like you said, he's very measured and very, like, uh, uh, very specific in terms of when he's saying something, he has meaning behind it and then when he goes into that that diet that uh that soliloquy that monologue in terms of like what's about to happen and he says that it's like it comes out of nowhere and it's so fucking dope yeah yeah absolutely great character great choice great choice uh my number four goes out to uh to to, to the bay uh, of my list here tris marigold from the witcher series um her character is so unique because she is, you know, as a sorceress, she's obviously very powerful and it's fun to fight alongside her in the moments that you do get the chance to do that with her in the games. Um, but beyond that, I think her relationship with Geralt is really, really unique and special. Um, and it's also very bittersweet in some ways, too, as she's sort of, you know, vying for a place in, in Geralt's life with, you know, obviously Yennefer of Vengerberg being, you know, his main squeeze, you know, for, for such a long period of time. And just the way that that affects their relationship and how they kind of, you know, they're kind of friends, but they're kind of not. And they're kind of professional, but they're kind of not. And I think that the way that that's balanced so perfectly in the narratives of the games are just really, really impressive stuff. And she's just a likable character. She's, yeah. she's not as cold and cutting as Yennefer can be. So in a lot of ways, she's a much more approachable, uh, she's the approachable girlfriend, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, for his character. And I think that it works so well, um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, the games give you choices as to who you really want to be with. Um, so, you know, it, you, you pick who you want. Uh, I was always Tris, Team Tris on, on my side because I just thought she's just she's just a more wholesome person. Uh, compared to Yennefer, and I thought it made it very much a good fit yeah. for Geralt to kind of level him out a little bit and bring and, him back to a, a more human type of person. And and, and and her, her character is so tragic because, if, for those of you who know, even though you do pick her in the game and, you, and the game for all intents and purposes has you with her, for those who know, they know Geralt uh, and, and Yennefer are actually bound by Jin's spell to be together anyway so like it's not even love between uh, Geralt and Yennefer but actually it also a spell there so even if, if 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 the game ends with you guys together you know down the line in the future that that might not actually end up being because they Jennifer and Geralt are tied by uh, a Jin uh, unless a Jin you spell. do the the side quest right to get right right, right, right. Thing, exactly yeah. yes 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 but I just, but, uh, I just, yeah. I just love that about about that 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 she seems to be like the perfect fit for Geralt. But like there are other things in play. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Bay Marigold all the way. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, man. Uh, we're getting into number threes yeah. now. So who is in your number three position here? Uh, my number three position is uh is Nick Valentine from Fallout Four. 
this character speaks to my crime nor sensibilities. I love a good detective or private eye kind of uh, story. Uh, films like Chinatown, LA Confidential being among my favorite uh, films of all time. But Nick Valentine is like introduced uh, in a way that is really akin to that. I, I, I love that. He, on paper, he may seem like an out of place character for Fallout for a Fallout game in terms of like what he is, but he is an old android literally falling apart, so he doesn't quite fit into what that world is anymore. And and Bethesda took that crime lord genre and infused it with this character, a, a character that I think that only they can create. He is dedicated to his job in a way uh, like a rundown detective would be within the genre of those films, but. But seemingly being the only good guy in that whole entire world, and I seeing his kind of like w w when you have him as your as your companion, seeing his observations throughout the game and how wholesome they can be, and and uh, his unwavering dedication makes him like the only companion that I can fuck with in Fallout Four. I just I love his entire uh, just what he's about. I love his the opening scene, the opening uh, mission where you meet him trying to get these nineteen twenty mobster types uh, to try to free the girl that finds the girl that he that went missing like all these things about nick valentine work for me in such a way that i don't think there's been ever been a character in fallout that has been seemingly made specifically for me yeah you know admittedly i didn't really spend a lot of time with this character so i can't say much about him because i was always a dog meat type of type of dude mm -hmm. in the fallout world but uh I, I I do I do see why this is a Pablo ass character though all the way. This, this does check those boxes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this checks all the boxes for you, man. I definitely see it for you. So yeah, definitely uh, not surprised to see it make your list and to be uh, in the three spot. Um, as for my number three, look, last time we talked about Mabey. Now we're going to talk about the bro, hey. uh, Ryuji Ryuji Sakamoto from Persona Five. Another character that I don't know if everybody loves unanimously, I love but it. I think I think one of the things that's a testament to a great companion in an RPG is that if they were gone, would would the game be worse for it? There's some characters that, you know, like if they weren't in the game, it wouldn't really affect much anything. I think Ryuji in a lot of ways is the glue of the entire cast of companions in Persona 5, by far. Mm -hmm. um, he is such a fun-loving, high-energy, expressive person. Um, he is comedic. He is real. He is kind of going to tell it like it is. He's dopey and derpy in some ways, too, but I think it just... It, it really he is kind of your guide through the entirety of that game in my opinion I think that's why he's the first person that you meet he's he's the person who just kind of walks you through that entire experience and if that was anybody else from that cast in that first role of your character's friend it would have it wouldn't have been nearly as good um, I just love his personality I think that he brings such a unique flavor to that group and um and it, there really wasn't many times where i where i wanted him out of my party i think he's and that, another reason why he's on the list is that he was just fun to to fight with yeah. um he's a very powerful character and that was one of the things i factored into my list as well as a side note like how good how formidable are these characters to fight alongside mm -hmm. and ryuji was a lot of fun he's a really powerful character really fun to use and um of course as you get to know him more as you build that that social link with him you get to see a very different side of his history and what he's been through that oh, yeah. kind of makes him who he is and it's just really interesting to kind of peel back those layers and, and learn more about him so he might be too eccentric for some 
some people's taste, but I think he is the ultimate bro in companion RPGs. Uh, you know, in that in that whole sphere. So I had to put him on my list. And of course, how can you forget his his catchphrase for real? <laughs> for real? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my guy right there. Yeah. Uh, but all right, so we are now in top two territory, Pablo. So who? is number two on your all-time companions list. I, I struggle with this one a little bit, the flip-flop between two and one, but uh, ultimately I went with uh, Garrus uh, Vakarian from Mass Effect series. Uh, I What I love about Garrus is that he is his own character and in terms of like his ideals and how he doesn't... He's, he's your guy. He's loyal to you, but he doesn't necessarily follow you blindly. He has his set of, of, of own beliefs that he's always standing by and he's always reminding you of that. I, I think that the relationship with Shepard, I think he's the closest to Shepard, at least the way I play Shepard. And and the game also emulates that regardless whether you go Renegade or, uh, I forgot the other one, a Renegade or... Um, Paragon? A Paragon, yeah. So the, the game emulates that with, with Garrus in terms of what he, he's okay with seeing Shepard do. So, But I, I do love that about him. I, I do love the fact, I love his history. I love the fact that he was this this cop that was pretty much just sick of, of, of all the rules in terms of him trying to, getting his way of him seeking out justice and him joining uh, Commander Shepard in order to, to final, realize that and bring justice to those he feels deserves it. And I think that that, that passion he has for that, and I, and I and, and just the entire way that he is, he carries himself. He's just like fucking badass. And I love him to pieces. And, and, and just the moments that he has with Shepard. I think those are by far my favorite moments. I personally didn't romance him, but as a bro, as like your second in command of the way I saw him, he was always the guy that, that, that you wanted. And every time he showed up, especially his intro in, in Mass Effect 2 was absolutely epic. And I, I think that this character is by far one of the, the best characters, uh, not just as a companion, but in terms of well written and well-rounded characters like i could have played a whole game as garris i think that i was just gonna say he deserves a spinoff of yeah. his own dude that'd be so fire because he's he's amazing i mean he's out of all the characters there's a lot of characters in the game that have a, their own ideals and they have a lot of things i think his are the most grounded in who he is as a person you know you got talia and mm. all these people who are scientists and all that but in terms of like who he is as a person how he completely morphs his entire life into serving and all that and and, and him going out of his way to be able to do that to the best of his ability. I think it's some of the best writing in games I've seen in RPGs for a while. So I, I love Garrus. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a character that I, I was just going to say it before you said it, but like if he ever got a spinoff, I'm there day one. Mm -hmm. That'd be so cool. Cause he's got the, he's got the repertoire, like as, you know, as a combatant to be able oh, yeah. to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And obviously his character is so unique. So yeah. Um, good choice there. So, um, my number two, my my second favorite RPG companion of all time, gotta give it to Tifa Lockhart from Final Fantasy VII. Um, I, there's no official tally for this, but I've gotta believe that she is one of the most universally liked characters in in video game history. I I don't know anybody that's ever been like, don't like Tifa that much. Mm, you know, like Anna. she's just so cool. She's she brings so much balance to the cast of Final Fantasy VII. It's not even funny. Mm -hmm. She's she's super intelligent. She is a very grounded person. She's a very practical person, very rational in her thinking. And um, she is always, 
you know, I, I think emotionally a few paces ahead of, of most people in the game. Absolutely. And I think she's just such an emotionally mature character that, you know, for for an, a JRPG franchise like Final Fantasy, which is always, you know, fairly over the top and very eccentric characters, it's very rare to run into a character that is... Um, you know, so so grounded and and both feet are on solid ground. You know, when you especially when you compare it to the other cast. Yeah. You know, Barrett is the loudmouth, larger than life, chest beating. You know, lead guy, and Cloud is the kind of reluctant antihero for a good portion of the thing. And you know, Vincent Valentine is the cryptic guy over in the corner. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it is, Yuffie is the quirky tongue and cheek thief. You know, and so here comes this girl in Tifa that sort of balances everything out. And and not only that, but fighting with her in 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 the recent remakes with these two here we just got in in the original just super fun yeah. she's just got a really fun you know you know fisticuff style that i think is really no cool to see and really cool to play as yeah no frills but just she's a powerhouse dude mm-hmm. she's just a really she's just a, one of the best female characters i think i've seen in gaming i think so too. um just pound for pound and so i think for me to not have her high up on my list would have been a, a huge oversight so she is officially number yeah. two on my list especially especially when you look at her and, and you see essentially she's gone through the same thing that cloud went through you know what i mean and how she came out of the other side uh in terms of losing a parent and all the things that have happened and, and still being emotionally mature yeah and being a a a better person for it she she let her she used the the things that happened to her to to her advantage you know and didn't let her didn't let her get her down basically you know yeah yeah, she's kind of like an, an Oron type of, of, of presence, Absolutely. not as like wise, not as like a wise elder type, but you know, in that kind of like keeping balance yeah. between everybody Absolutely. kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Tifa Lockhart. Um, but now it's time for our number ones. Pablo, who is your favorite RPG companion of all time and why? My, my favorite uh, RPG companion of all time is, I guess, a controversial one. It's Johnny Silverhand from uh, Cyberpunk 2077. I, what makes Johnny special is that he's your companion, but he's also you. You know, he's your mm. inner monologue. He's also himself. He has his own personality. You control him. There are times that he can co- control you. He is essentially to the story uh, as essential as V is. Uh, he can act as your moral compass or he can be his own in terms of that you could influence him or he could influence you and a lot of the other games and a lot of rpgs you know a character like that is is their own person right they're, they're a side character off to the side and you know they they help you out with their combat and certain things but johnny silverhand is a companion for you in terms of like how i guess if you had to compare it kind of how um how halo how uh, master chief and cortana are but in this essence it's even a little bit more complex because essentially he has fused with you right he is the he is v v is johnny and so that might not seem like he's an actual companion but in terms of what he does being a a voice of reason or being the opposite of that being someone you can confide in being someone that when things happen within this game you can you share that same experience and through that i feel like he is essentially a companion to you in more ways than one even though essentially he is the main character as well but i i i love his story I love his characterization. Obviously, John. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, Keanu Reeves playing him is is absolutely exceptional. Uh, I think he's written 
incredibly well. I think for my money, probably one of the best written characters in gaming. Period. Uh, and I just, I, I just love spending time with Johnny. And then you know the decisions you have to make at the end, and whether you separate yourself from that person, from that companion forever, or you actually let him become you. Like there's so many different things that can happen in this game. But I, as a as a companion, I I, I felt like he was essential to the experience as a whole. Yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 would not be what it is without this character at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I yeah, full disclosure, not on my list, and, and really just off of a technicality that is exclusive to me. Like I, everybody that I chose was people that I can actually fight with, and I you technically can't do that with Johnny. He's just kind of there with you in those moments, you know, uh, in in those like weird mind moments kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if I excluded that, then yeah, he'd definitely be in my, my list for sure. But um, the dimension of that character is really, really impressive. He's not just this, you know, this, this swear jar walking <laughs> and talking, you know, he's, he's more than that, you know, and the more you spend time with him and get to know his past and what he's overcome and what he believes in, you start kind of going, wow, I, you know, as much as I don't want my character to be taken over by his construct, I kind of agree with a lot of stuff he's saying. <laughs> and then you have that, it introduces that, that dilemma of like, man, I, you know, I kind of, rock with him but I don't want to necessarily be him and I think the way they do that through the storytelling in that game is just so brilliant um, that yeah I mean it, it I, I had a feeling he'd be your number one Absolutely, for sure when yeah. I thought when we thought about this idea I was like yeah it's gonna be Johnny for him <laughs> uh, and deservingly so look it's it, he's just he he is just that damn good he really is so great choice great choice um, as for my number one so what's interesting about this character is that he embodies Everything that I just described about everybody else on my list. He he is he has the troubled background of a Carthonassi. He can be the bay of your life or the bro <laughs> of your life. He's also a character that brings a lot of balance and and groundedness to the equation. And when you sandwich all that together, you end up with Garrus Vicarian from the Mass Effect uh, trilogy. Um I, you know, I, I was biting my, my, my tongue when you were talking about him a moment ago because I agree with everything you said. Um, I just think that he is the quintessential culmination of what makes any great companion character a great companion character. So much depth, so much dimension, so much personality, so much humor, but also a serious side. He has complexities and idiosyncrasies about him that are interesting to kind of discover through those three games that you get to, to be with him. Um, and you get to see the romantic side of him if you choose that path, and it's very fulfilling from what I've seen. Although I get, like I said a couple episodes ago, I don't know how you smash with a guy like that because you oh. might get scraped up. Yeah, he get um, they, but, those conversations get know. nasty. Hey, I'm just saying, lube up because you're gonna need it. Um, that man. <laughs> um, but he's he's gonna plate you down. Jesus. But besides that, um, he's just he's just the character you never want to be away from for very long and and that is the testament to everything that 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 they did to him uh that being bioware from a writing standpoint and how formidable he is from a combat standpoint and that was really kind of what tilted him above tifa because tifa was number one in my brain for a while but when i thought about it more i'm like yeah but you know what garris brings to the the combat of that game he is that i want if i were to be in a foxhole with anybody it would be him and that that means something. It means something in the context of the Mass Effect trilogy and going up against the Reapers and this, you know, 
sentient life ending threat type of thing and just in general you know it's so yeah for all the reasons you said earlier and in these reasons here i think garris was easily um you know number one although tifa was definitely knocking on that door a little bit for sure yep that's my guy um so look man before we we bail were there any uh honorable mentions you wanted to quickly shout out before we roll credits here yeah honestly um not really, because for me, when I was kind of devising this, I, I was more or less looking at. Uh, I wasn't. I didn't have like a a an equation or anything. But these are the ones that kind of like uh, stood out for me. I guess uh, Varric from Dragon Age. Yes. Uh, Blackheart uh, from Dra- uh, Dragon Age as well. Yep. Those those guys were competing yep. for a spot for a while. Uh, I think Blackheart just basically because of his story, because he's not the real Blackheart. Blah blah blah, like bullshit. But I I those those games like that, like the Dragon Age games. I I thought about those games uh, intently, and I thought about other JRPGs, and I I I wanted to. I I like your uh, Ryuji uh, edition. I always hesitate to add anything Persona Five on my list since I'd never beat the game, even though I collectively play like 120 hours of it but he's so i love him so much he's 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 my favorite character in a persona game um uh, he's just so cool i love him but yeah those those yeah, probably were, the- were it for me how about you oh okay yeah i uh, definitely johnny was one but you know i explained why i took him off my list earlier uh hk47 who is the droid yep. from kotor who was hilarious calls everybody a meatbag he is uh he is he is a he's one for the ages i'll just put it that way uh I had some Final Fantasy VIII love in, in, in contention for a while with either, with either Quistis or Renoa. I thought both of those characters were really cool, and definitely Varric, but I almost felt like Varric and, and Garrus were, were kind of similar in a way, and Garrus is just kind of a better version of Varric in some ways. Yes, that's true. Um, so I, I kind of kind of you know, I excluded him for that reason, but he was definitely knocking on the door as well. But yeah, it was fun to think about. It was actually a pretty cool exercise to consider. Um, and maybe we'll do more stuff like this in the future for like villains or lead oh, characters or stuff like that down the road. But yeah, um, good times were had for sure. And that is going to do it. Uh, for this week's show. Uh, if you enjoyed all of this, please be sure to subscribe to our show so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Uh, but until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy your video games, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye.